this episode is in loving memory of Nabil and Derek. For me, this episode's in loving memory of Phil. For me, uh, this this episode is in loving memory for, for Charles. So it's dedicated to, to you. You, Chris, mentioned the rambling. And what I unknowingly to me said in a very profound way in one of the men's groups I hold is that every single man felt like they were rambling. And it, the message just came through me was we all feel like we're rambling because we never feel like we have a space. And so because we, we talk and we're actually not talking that much, but we're not, we don't feel like we have a space to do so. So when we start, it seems like we're burdening somebody else. It feels like we're causing a disturbance in their life. And so we pull back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern era. Our hope with this podcast is to support men on their journey towards becoming the best possible version of themselves by providing insight, support, perspective, but most importantly, a safe space to live authentically with a community of conscious kings. Every week, we will take a deep dive into topics such as toxic masculinity, men's mental health, personal relationships, conscious leadership, and powerful guest appearances. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you every single day in the arena of misunderstood masculinity. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, Modern Masculinity family. It's your man, CK. And it's your boy, Anwar Ahmed, aka A Squared. And today's topic, we're going to go through a journey of men's mental health. We're going to get into all the facets we believe that are not talked about enough, our own personal experiences with it, and really just honestly have a conversation. Men's mental health really needs more conversation. It doesn't need fixing. It needs a lot more honoring. So we're working to have that space. And on top of it all, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And we want to make sure that we take part as best as we can and support in any way that we can with this with the space that we've created. But before we do that, you know what time it is. Moochek! Hey, yo, Coach Kyle. How's it going, man? How you feeling today, big dog? We get better and better every time. That was sick. I really... It was symphonic. I don't even know if that's a word, but yeah, it's going yeah. to be today. It was symphonic. Was we dope. just created a sympathy. Uh, I am well. Today I am well. Today I am well. It has been one of the wildest weeks I have had to date. And... Honestly, I, I think it would be a whole episode if I gave you all the details, to be quite honest with you. A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. I'm moving. Things are moving. Physically moving. I'm physically moving. And I just can't really get into all of it, but some of it we will get into this episode because it pertains to this exact concept. Some things that came across my space that need to be talked about. So for me, I'm doing well. I actually feel like I'm handling all of the change really, really well which is making me feel really, really good, which mm-hmm. is nice because every hour I feel, or honestly, every breath, I feel like things are changing. And the way that I'm coping, you know, I don't like, I'm not going to use that word. The way that I'm moving through it all and with it all, I feel- Handling it. Yeah, I feel really happy about 
all of the work that I've done to be in this position, to be as resilient and emotionally in tune and capable as I feel right now. So that's awesome. I mean, anytime kind of like, you know, life shifts for you or there's a big move in your life and stuff like that, you just, you just hope that you've done enough work to be agile enough and, you know, trust in your ability to adapt to the circumstances, you know, COVID's made us all adapt, right? That maybe was a good prepper, you know what I mean? Being able to change your life and adapt and understand that sometimes things are out of your control, you know, and sometimes you need to um, take some time to um, process things, but the work you do every single day allows you to deal with punches like that and deal with adversity and different ways, you mm-hmm. know? And so I'm glad that you're, you know, you're, you're taking it on the chin and you're taking it in stride. That's awesome to hear. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And just to be clear, when I said the work, the work was not my job. Just so everyone knows, I don't consider that ever work. The work is you. I'm gonna repeat that. I'll leave it there. I'll land, let that land. But that's what I meant by the work. Uh, how's your mood, Poppy? My mood's good, man. I feel, I, sp- I mean, it's coming down to the last week of Ramadan now. So mm-hmm. it's like all of the all of the blessings from doing that and having that experience, it all kind of starts to rear its head. You know, you start to feel it, you know, being, getting that routine, being, you know, consciously spiritual for, you know, three weeks straight and, you know, being in tune with what you're thinking about and how you're feeling. And um, there's so many benefits that come from that. And I think that for me, I've just been able to enjoy this journey. I love this time of year. I love, you know, Ramadan for the values of what it gives. It gives you that break. I haven't been on social media. Like, so I've just feel very clear minded from like the world. I feel very involved in myself. Like I feel very inward right now. Um, And it's not often we get to spend time there. You know, you're always serving the outside world. You're always hanging out with external problems and dealing with external issues and um, being triggered by external issues. You know, whether you go online and you see something that, you know, you're jealous of or you're comparing yourself to or, you know, just kind of feeds the beast of whatever storyline you're telling yourself. Um, When you close all that out, you get to create your own storyline about yourself. And I I love that. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, as as, as people can can see. Um, But I'm doing, yeah, I'm just very very good um i think that this conversation is something that i hold dear um dear to my heart and i really care about and um so i just want to give it my full intention and my full everything today because uh, i really want uh, this conversation to land for a lot of people um we got our we got our we got our guy back in the building today too chris what do you do baby How's your mood today, man? How it's you doing? Good. You know, I did good on the ten day the ten day contract, so they signed me. Uh, you know, for for the rest of the year. It was it was a debate for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Front office wasn't sure about it. You know, I had to. Uh, how's my mood? Um, you know, my mood is I think is very similar to my mood the last time we recorded, um, but I feel like a little bit milder. I I was overwhelmed. You know. I think it was three weeks ago when when, when we recorded last, and uh, I still feel pretty overwhelmed. But I feel uh, I feel like I have a plan now. I feel like a little bit more sorted out. I feel a little bit more organized on how I'm gonna be less overwhelmed. You know, I, I feel like I uh, did some self reflecting. Um, I've def I definitely learned some things about myself in the last uh, few weeks. Mm. So I feel like um, I have more. I have information that I didn't have about myself, which is always good. You know. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm grateful too. you know, I've, I think that's something I can struggle with 
um, a lot. A lot of the time, it's easy to look at someone else's situation who you may perceive as better than yours or, you know, people that possess things that you feel like uh, you deserve or should have. And, you know, I, I feel like I've been a little bit more grateful and shown some appreciation for some of the things, people, relationships that I have in my life. And I think that's what's kind of taken the edge off of the overwhelming factors in my life. So, um, yeah, I, I, I feel good about that read that too you know mm. so uh I'm, I'm still overwhelmed but i feel like i see a light you know i i, I definitely um uh feel a little bit more positive though mm. about it so listening back to our last episode when all three of us were together and i was listening to his mood check and you know it was it was wild to me is that it almost feels like he prepares just in case he needs to get a mood check. Do you feel that way? <laughs> he comes in and it's like a b c d e g h i element of p and i'm like what the I felt like mine came out A, Z, C, G, and he's like in full form. He sounds very like he's got his he's got his mood down. Seriously. He's got his mood down. Do you feel like you have your mood down? You know, what people people who know me well, I guess, uh, I had a really close friend say this to me the other day. He said, you know, if there's anything that Chris is going to do, it's gonna, he's going to give you context. And I just feel like I'm really, yeah, I, I realized that about myself. One of the things I learned about myself, I'm really big on context. How I was feeling at the moment. Whenever I tell a story, it usually starts with how I was feeling right when that story, whatever took place. So I feel like I'm very aware of like how I'm feeling. That like even if I haven't really thought about it and taken the time to process like a full answer, if you ask me, like I can, <laughs> I can let you know, you know. So uh, they, I, I feel like I'm rambling. So they, that that uh, that that thank you. That's, mm. that's a nice compliment. You know, it sounds. Mm. I like that, I guess. Me too. Like the context stuff is that's cool, man. It's like to know how you're feeling within the context to always create context around what you're doing. Like that's pretty powerful. Like if you know if then it just makes you I feel like stand taller. You know what I mean? If you know the context in which you're speaking from and how you're feeling, you know the container. You build the container all the time. You're like, okay, I'm gonna say this, but this is the context behind what I say. Feel like there's going to be a lot less confusion mm -hmm. for a lot of people if we spoke with a little bit more context absolutely i'm always the guy who like rambles on and then at the end i have to say like okay to give you context <laughs> but if you start with the context then it's just like man that 10 minutes now makes more sense you know it's, it's funny because some people hate asking me shit like that uh <laughs> asking me how i'm doing asking me to tell a story because i'll say so many things that seem irrelevant you know just for me to get to this point um funny enough people have said that to me it's it's a it's a feminine trait you're like oh that's how women tell stories there's so many emotions you're saying how you felt at the time and stuff like that so um thank you you know first <laughs> of all for, for for welcoming that making me feel good about that because uh uh definitely there are people who don't appreciate that aspect mm. of me yeah and you could do a whole episode on what he yeah, just said yeah exactly you right. really could uh, we won't today, but I think that it is important to just note what he did just say is that he was just, he's just being vulnerable. He's just sharing his experience and people look at it that like he's a woman, Yeah, which is so inherently wrong, which attests to the challenges that we face and why we don't open up. This is what we're here to break down, baby. Yeah, that's <laughs> what we're here to do. Uh, thanks boys. Appreciate it. And for everyone listening, I hope that you are also doing a mood check with us just to check in with yourself. Even if with even if you're not with someone, uh, just do a quick moment. What's my mood like? So to get into today's topic, we mentioned we're talking about men's mental health and we thought it would be really, really vital and necessary and also really valuable to bring on Chris because the more people we can have in conversations like this, the better. And so with that being said, 
one of the things Anwar and I was talking about in prepare, preparing for this episode was how when we think about men's mental health, we usually just think about suicide and depression, maybe anxiety sometimes, but it's usually, it's usually the hot topics. Those are the two, right? But what we wanted to just express first before we get into the, the journey is there's so much more to it. There's so many more facets of mental health or results of challenges with mental health. So we just want to kind of go through that just so everyone knows there's a broader spectrum with all of this. It's not just these two things. So a few of them, I'm going to do my best to rattle them off as best as I can, but just so everyone knows for context. So anger is one anxiety and panic attacks, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, borderline personality, depression, which we spoke about, disassociation, which I find a very fascinating concept, drugs and alcohol, eating problems, hearing voices, hoarding, loneliness, paranoia, phobias, post-traumatic stress disorder. There's so much more in the realm of mental health. And I think that we don't like to think about it sometimes from that broader perspective. We like to put it in a box and just put it as like, it's only this and this without addressing the rest. And that's, uh, that's a hard, that's hard to hear, I think, because some of those things I was, when I was reading them, I thought to myself, oh, a few of them aligned with me. And I more than, more than just feeling like I'm depressed Mm -hmm. or that I have suicidal ideation or had, you know, so much more landed with me when I read that list. And I think that's why we wanted to express that and to share that with everyone. Yeah. I think that showing, you know, the spectrum is important because I think what we see nowadays a lot on social media, and this is kind of what, you know, bothers me about it is that, um, we almost try to, we're trying to, we're trying to almost to simplify mental health. We're trying to make it seem like it's not complicated, you know, and that it's, it, it comes down to like having a bad day. You know, like it's, we're almost like dumbing it down so much that it's like, if you're having a couple bad weeks or you're in a slump, you know, we're making that equal to someone who's dealing with bipolar disorder or someone who's dealing with schizophrenia or, you know, and I think that it's important for us to like show the respect that we understand what we're talking about, you know, that we're not just force feeding advice down people's throat because something that helped you get out of a slump two weeks ago is the advice that you're going to give to someone else to get out of their slump, their problem is different than yours. It's not a one size fits all advice out here. And I think that what we're seeing in the social media and what we're seeing is there's a lot of awareness. There's a lot of conversation and that's great. I love it. But I would love for us to also get a little bit more educated on the deeper problems. And I wanted to start, the, we will, me, and Chris, me and Kyle both wanted to start this episode with just making sure that we understand that container. Mm-hmm. And even going back to you know what Chris said is creating the context. Like the context is, we're going to go into our, in our, into our stories and we're going to probably touch on some things that are a little bit more of the common ones that are talked about, anxiety, depression, but we're not ignoring the fact that we understand that the other ones exist. And we don't want to just come in here, start rattling off the, like, you know, the ones that we know about and then act as if this whole door, this right. whole, everything that's behind this door, we're not going to touch on. So let's start with the context, like Chris said. And um, I think that let's get to a better place where we, aren't being ignorant in the way we talk about it. Mm-hmm. That's what's important to me. Mm-hmm. And one thing that just came up for me as we were speaking about it is the idea that we we compartmentalize and don't really give a context to the grander scheme of things. But at the same time, we also feel a really large need to label it all mm-hmm. when mental health is very much just men- it's mental health. You're having challenges with your mental health. And 
you don't always necessarily have to label it in the list that I just provided, but I think that it's the consistent need we feel to do so in order to either validate or devalue or devalidate, if that's even a word, the the harshness or the, like if yours, yours is a specific name, then all of a sudden it's more important than mine. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where a big of a challenge with the labeling is it's yours is worse than mine and better or I don't know. It just, it's an interesting concept for me. So it was, it was nice to read that list for sure. I also just think, um, as far as like the understanding and awareness, you know, you, you had that really lengthy list of, you know, the way it can, uh, it can look and sound the, the labels and stuff. And I, I feel like that can be what we get caught up on. And, you know, as Anwar was mentioning about social media, um, and you're saying about me, I give context. I so a specific context that I feel like this happens is like people are so aware now. I, I feel like that's like a thing that we we needed to have happen. Okay, mental health is like a forefront conversation now. We are aware. We are aware of that list that you said. We most people have heard one of those terms before. Right now, I think the issue is that people really don't understand how that will manifest in reality. You know, so when you talk about some of the most basic root of, you know, I don't want to, that's probably not a good word to describe it. Some of the more familiar um, elements of, mm. of poor mental health, like depression, appreciate, appreciate or something. the word like, change there. That was yeah, good. Yeah, I don't I don't think because I don't want to reduce any of these emotions or what people experience as basic, you know, because mm. it's a very complex thing. So but if you were to um, refer to something that's more common, I guess that people are more familiar with like depression, right? People are so aware of depression now. You can say to somebody, oh, I'm, I'm feeling depressed and people will kind of have an idea what you mean by that. But then, you know, if you start missing some showers or you forget brushing your teeth and something like that, somebody may look at you a little differently. And the reason because of that, we may not have a proper understanding of how depression and men- bad mental health will manifest. And a lot of um, I'm just bringing up this example, poor hygiene, you know, is, is taking care of yourself is is a is one of the most common telltale way, ways that somebody is has some poor mental health is experiencing depression. And I've just seen so much discourse about this online about like, what do you mean you're sad so you can't take a shower and, you know, and it's just um, I, I think something like that is one of the complex complexities of having poor mental health when you have low self-esteem when you don't care about yourself when you don't think it's important for you to even take care of yourself something little like eating or or, or taking a shower or maintaining your hygiene you know so i think um people are aware that this is a thing but really have no idea what it would look like when it manifests you know and i and i think that is the next stepping stone in in these conversations about mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're just just diving right in. I love it. I love it. There's so much to pull from there. And when I was listening to what he was saying, I think that when we transition into this conversation and we're talking about ment- mental health specifically, I think that, well, I'm, I, I'm happy I'm reading your piece of paper because I kind of like how it's phrased at the top, which we didn't actually discuss yet, is the idea that there's like there's mental health and dealing with the health of your mental and then there's mental illness. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the perfect language, I think, is kind of what you're speaking on and what I was struggling to just now. I'm happy I read it is that there is a big difference. There's a massive difference. And we just put them in the same box. Yes. We never separate them and consider them different because for me, for example, I focus on my mental health. I'm not 
doing my best to work with a mental illness, which is so drastically different. But when someone, let's say, has anxiety and that is, let's say, clinically diagnosed and there's medication involved on that level, it's more of a mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. Not to say there's anything wrong, but they're, it's different than mental health. It's completely different context they, yeah the challenges are completely different yeah the you, date, can't, you can't just tell that person meditate for five minutes and no. you'll be fine that's not the advice for that person right that's not the you're not you're not doing your part in helping that person right there like that's but when you know the difference between illness and mental mm-hmm. health like you're saying then you might enter that conversation a bit differently mm-hmm. but yeah yeah it's very 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 interesting so that's one of the things that i heard that you were saying and uh you know i guess just to get right into it i think that all three of us being men in this world have our own experiences with mental health and i think that sometimes it felt like it almost became an illness i think at least for me anyway it felt like it got there without going to the doctor and them telling me it got there and i wouldn't ever really know but i think that it would it's going to be incredibly valuable for us in this space as we continue to share our experiences as men getting into our mental health and the experiences we've shared some of it but yeah, um, and I, I think that's very important, the distinction you're talking about, uh, mental health and mental illness, because um, it, without getting into it too much, my, in my life, that's the that distinction I have to make. That's something I need to understand um, when I'm dealing with my mental illness and when I'm dealing with poor mental health or managing my mental health, you know? Mm. And I don't want to harp on it too much, but I, I think that's another way um, people misunderstand what that looks like, manifest, like the way that manifests, what a mental illness looks like as opposed to somebody who has poor mental health, who has to work on their mental health, you know? And just the more understanding on things like that, the, the better I, I feel like we can have the better conversations, better spaces, you know? Right. And one, th- one, one thing I just c- kind of aligned with me is that I recognized that when I got to the point where I felt like I had a mental illness, quote, quote, I was highly naive to the process, first and foremost, of the difference between the two. But at the same time, I wasn't doing my own mental health work that we all required to do as humans. So it, I neglected that, which could have led to that in a way. And so I think that that was where the distinction was, is that if I had kept up with my mental health support and love and care, then I wouldn't have felt like I became, I had that like, illness that came through or that because I felt like oh, at the time my suicidal ideation was the illness. That's what I felt like. It mm-hmm. wasn't just a mental health challenge. I felt like it was an illness at that point. Like mm-hmm. something was inherently wrong with me. Right. Um, and that there was just something I couldn't, I wouldn't, wasn't able to fix. And so I think that's an interesting part of the journey as well, at least for me. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw in a metaphor here and something to kind of like, you know, put it into, and the reason why I use metaphors, metaphors are my context. Like metaphors I've realized now, are, they're how I concept, like that's how I create concepts in my mind. And when we're talking about this, you know, visuals that are coming up for me is this idea that like, if you were to break your leg, right? You're not gonna be able to get back into playing mode anytime soon. You're dealing with an illness, you're hurt. You got you to do the medical stuff to get ready to get back and to getting in back to the gym, right? So the advice for that person is not something that's an exercise. Mm. Um, my leg is broken right now. There's steps I got to take to get back to my leg being ready. Now, when the leg heals and you get back to being able, you're still not going to be 100%, right? But your leg is healed, but you're feeling weak. And so the exercise you originally give that person to me is like, that's when you're like, your mental health is down. You're in a weak state. Your lack of confidence you just broke your leg. 
you're not feeling good, you're not vibey, you're not who you are or who you thought you were, but there's things you need to do, hygiene, take care of your mental health, eat well, and if you do those things, you'll slowly get that strength and that confidence back, right? And so those two people, the one with the broken leg in the hospital and the person who's in the gym who's at the bottom of their progression, they're different, but they're both hurting, right? One of them is physically hurting. They're actually down and out. They're like in the rehab, they're recovering. And one person is not feeling like themselves at all. And they have a long journey to getting back to feeling like themselves. But the advice for both those people are completely different. And the help that both those people need are completely different. And I hope that, you know, that example allows you to see it a little bit more clear and helps you see the, the, the complexity of mental health and illness, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just be um, able to give a little bit more, and I don't want to say the word respect, but maybe it's necessary to the process for people. And like you said, the answer is not one and all, it's not a black and white concept. Uh, and it never has been, but like you said, we almost tried to make it that way to simplify it, to almost try to understand it. And now we understand it. Now it's time to break loose of that. Now it's time to get into the intricacies of it all and know that mental health and taking care of it is different for everyone. And it's not the same. It is not one pony, one, one, one size. It's not that it is meditation might work for you today. And today meditation might be the last thing that will work for me because I'm just in a different position. And I think it's, my answer will be something. It just won't be yours all the time. And the idea of, you know, we spoke about this last time, self-care being glorified a bit. Uh, it just became so mainstream that we forgot that there's so much more to it than taking a, a bath with a bath bomb or going for a walk. You know, it does change and it evolves every single day. My friends, let's talk about mental health and the sponsor of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Tether, a peer-enabled mental health and well-being platform for men. Tether helps men find meaning and purpose through community, accountability pods, and a 24-7 support network. Tether invites us all to be a part of changing the face of masculinity and letting every man know that struggling and vulnerability doesn't make you any less of a man. It simply makes you human. And for me, I've had a lot of personal experience with this app. I've used it many times. I've shared a lot of vulnerable moments. I've shared some strength moments, some exciting moments. The app is open for everyone to simply just share. And like I said in the introduction, a peer-enabled space where we're supporting each other without any pressure to fix, just simply to honor each other's journey. They also just added in a conscious content section where they're sharing podcasts they're sharing blog posts it is a really powerful space so we really want to implore you and encourage you to download it from the app and google store it is tether t-e-t-h-r available on both app stores join the community i promise you will not regret it So one thing that we want to do when we are entering into a conversation like this is honor the experience and honor the context and honor the process that we all go through as men. And I think when we were speaking earlier, actually, there's something that came up before we get into experiences. You, Chris, mentioned the rambling and what I unknowingly to me said in a very profound way in one of the men's groups I hold is that every single man felt like they were rambling. And it, the message just came through me was we all feel like we're rambling because we never feel like we have a space. 
And so because we, we talk and we're actually not talking that much, but we're not, we don't feel like we have a space to do so. So when we start, it seems like we're burdening somebody else. It feels like we're causing a disturbance in their life. And so we pull back. And so it was just a really profound. So I wanted to share that in context. So what we're about to do is we just want to share our experience with mental health a bit. And we're not here to fix anything. And we don't always need to be doing that. It's just simply about honoring our experience and how we've had mental health challenges. And like I said, we all have. So uh, Anwar, talk, talk to the people a bit. Talk to the fam. What's your experience been like? I think my experience, um, and I'll take you guys on like a little bit more of like a, a story journey here, but um, the short answer is that like, I think that my experience with mental health has been getting harder today. Like I would say today, it's the hardest it's ever been, but I'm in the best position. I'm well equipped to deal with it the best. Um, I think in this story that I share, I'll talk about a time where I wasn't equipped for it and that's when it got scary but now I feel like I'm more equipped for the challenges that my brain is telling me and I understand what's going on a bit better so I can deal with it better but as I continue to take on more and more responsibilities as I continue to dream and want you know bigger things for myself and my family and my friends and um, it's not that you can't be struggling at a younger age if you're not thinking about some of those things you can be but for me I felt like as my responsibilities grew, my mental health was also challenge more and more challenging. And so, um, but I'll start with my childhood. I'll go back to, um, being a kid because I think that that's kind of where your original thoughts start your original story of what you tell yourself. It always starts with something like when you were a kid. And, um, for me, I really, the first, my first kind of, you know, interaction with like the I felt like my conscious world where I felt like I was, I knew who my personality was. And if I, I felt like it was a little bit more like maybe the end of elementary school. I felt like I kind of felt like I knew who I was. Like I'm a human being, I'm on this planet and this, like there were in this world, like, let's see what we can do. And, um, in that first kind of chapter of life, I was dealt with, I dealt with a lot of bullying because I had these really big teeth and, um, and at that point, I hadn't really found a, a game or a sport or any kind of thing yet. You know, you're just trying to figure it out. You're just trying to, you know, navigate things and nothing, no niche. Yeah, no, no real sense of belonging other than my family. You know, I knew that I had a family. I knew that I had sisters and my mom and my dad and, uh, you know, the friends in the neighborhood. But once you got into the bigger world, like a university or like an elementary school, it was like I was just subject to whatever was coming at me. And at that time, it was bullying, you know, and. Um, the way I kind of dealt with that is I just kind of avoided. I turtled, I avoided, I went away. Um, and interestingly enough, I, the bullying was always something that I just let go past me. I never let it hit me. I never let it actually affect me. Like I wouldn't go home and have like a boohoo sad story. I would just be like, oh, the bullies are after me. Like it was, I was almost naive to the effect that, that it could affect me. Like I was just getting bullied and I was like, this is just what it is. Um, I don't know how to fix it, but I don't, it doesn't like, it doesn't really, you don't really bother me. Like, cause they would say their thing and I would leave and I'd be like, loser, you know what I mean? And I just, cause I wasn't actually, I actually didn't have like a violence in me. Like I didn't have, like, I didn't want to, I didn't want confrontation. So say what you're going to say, I'm going to leave and I'm cool with that. Like I got nothing to say to you. I got nothing to do to you. That's what you think. Rabbit, bucktooth, beaver, whatever you want to say. Fine. Just kind of kept it moving. Um, 
But in your mind, you're always trying to find the revenge, right? Like, what's your revenge going to be? And as I got older, I found sports and I found obsession. And so I was like, oh, this is who I am now. And so through sports, I kind of found a little bit of a voice, but I still couldn't get into these friend groups because I was dealing with this like, it was like so hard to make friends, you know, like, so I was, I felt like I was athletic. I felt like I could play the sports. And I remember I, um, I was watching, now we're in middle school and I was watching these gentlemen play, play football and I would watch them and in hopes that they would invite me in, they would let me in. And, um, I'd go on recess, watch them, cheer them on a little bit, even like try to like get in from the sidelines, like, yo, good play, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They would look at me and continue to play because they had their set number. They had seven guys. They would go three and three and the quarterback would switch. He would go play on both teams. And so they had their group. They had their number. Um, and I remember one time, you know, the, those teachers that kind of walk around and patrol and make sure the kids are all being good, the ones with the vest, in case anything goes wrong, she comes by and she watched me watching and she goes, why don't you play? And I said, oh, they, are, they have numbers, like they're good, like they don't need an extra player. She goes, oh, that's fine, I'll break it up. And in middle school, that's not what you, that's not what you want. You don't need a parent or whatever to step in and try to like intrude. I'm going, no, 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 no. She goes, guys, 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 let's stop the game. Why don't we get him involved? Oh, and I'm like, oh my God. God, man, I had the game plan in my mind. They're going to just let me play. And then they go, we already have numbers. And like they, so they make up their, their excuse and I'm going, it's okay, guys. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Like, don't like, I didn't ask her to do that. And she goes, no, you can play. You can play. And then they go, we'll get him in next time. Anyways, that little interaction made one of the guys come up to me in the hallways another time. And they didn't have numbers that day. And they were like, hey, man, we're going to be playing football today. If you want to come, you can play. And I went, okay. And so I go and I show up. And I'm in my head just thinking, I need to perform. This is my way out. Like, this is my way to get into this friend group. Like, I have to be good at something to get into this friend group. Like, I can't just be, just being me is not working. Like, I'm Bucktooth, I'm Beaver. Like, I need something. I need a skill set. They get me in the game and I play well. I'm having fun with them, high-fiving with the boys. Like, they're, it's because it's I've been watching for so long. I've been studying this, you know? And we have a great time. And I, I become really good close with one of the guys there. One of the guys is, starts to talk to me in the hallways. And then they invite me out to play a little bit more. And then I found my first friend group. And I was, these were the guys. But if I'm being honest, I was never, ever myself with those guys. I was always what they wanted me to be. Cause I just wanted to stay right. Cause I found that first group. I found that first, like I, I worked so hard to get in that group. I didn't want to lose that. And so I changed, I, I, I became them said what they wanted me to say. I acted as if I was, you know, I, I joked in the way that I thought it would appease them. And, um, it wasn't until I would say a couple of years later with hanging out with those guys, we hung out with great, you know, grade six was our year of like kind of getting together and finding that group. And it wasn't until I was leaving. My mom decided like, we're, we're going to move to Winnipeg now after I just, after I just made friends with these guys, after I just finally got rid of the label of like, I'm a bully to like, I'm a guy who hangs out with these guys. And these guys were one of the coolest guys in the school too. So it was like, Oh, I'm in with the cool guys mm-hmm. or the finally jocks. Get it, and I finally like, get it. Yeah. And my mom was like, you got to pack your bag. We're going to Winnipeg. And I'm like, are you kidding? 
Like I, I just, I just made these friends. Like I just, I'm, oh, I'm only relevant now. I just became relevant. And so towards like the end of my, they all knew that I was leaving. And at that point they were inviting me over to sleepovers. Like they even threw me a surprise birthday party. Like they were fully, we were in it at that point. And I slowly started letting go of what they wanted me to be because I was leaving. So I was just, you know, I just started like conforming to, and they accepted me like they near, near the end. And it hurt even more because I felt like at the end I started becoming like myself and I had to leave. Mm. And what I thought in my mind wasn't happening. It was like, I thought if I was going to be myself, they wouldn't hang out with me. But when I started being like myself, they liked me even more, but now I got to go. And so I leave and I go to Winnipeg and I'm not in a good place. I'm pissed. I'm upset. How old are you at this point? I'm in grade seven. So I get to Winnipeg and I'm in grade seven and um, I'm not feeling it, man. And it's the first time my mom, this was like the first person who ever like checked on my mental health in a way that was like, you don't look like yourself. Because I was a happy-go-lucky kid. Like I just cared about playing outside and having a good time and I dealt with bullying. I took bullying on the head. Like I didn't even, I wasn't even phased by bullying. I didn't even let bullying bother me. I just was like, I would smile at the bully and walk away. I just didn't care. I just loved life. I just wanted to play sports and hang out with my sister and everything was good. It was like before you knew problems existed. You know, I was like, my, my worst problems, I'm getting bullied. Like, that's it. My dad loves me. My mom loves me. Everyone, everyone's happy. Um, but it was the first time she saw a shift in my energy. Like, I was not happy to be in Winnipeg. And she asked, like, are you okay? Are you And I told her, no, I don't want to be here. I want to go back. Like, I don't want to live here. And it was so bad that my mom sent me back because my dad had never came with us. It was like, a, we're going to be in Winnipeg for a shorter period of time. We, had, we were there on a mission. Um, and so my dad was going to financially support us from Vancouver. We were going to go to Winnipeg, live there for as long as we needed to do, and then go back to Vancouver. And so my mom, you know, confided in my dad and said, I don't think Anwar is doing very well. He has to come back to Vancouver. He needs to come back to Vancouver. And um, I came back to Vancouver and I got to live with my dad for grade eight. So I did grade seven in Winnipeg. Grade eight, my mom sent me back, even though my sisters and my mom stayed in Winnipeg. Like that's how, where she thought I was at. Like you need to go back. So I'm now, now I'm hanging out with my dad. And if, you know, I've said this on the podcast before, my Dad is loose. He does not care. My mom is the disciplinary. My dad is like, you're getting away with murder with my dad. Right. And I'm just living with my, and my dad works full time. So I'm grade eight. I'm back with the boys. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm like, I'm milking it. I'm like, you know, I think that like, it's all, I just convinced my mom to send me back to Vancouver, living with my dad. My dad works like literally all day. He gets home at like nine, he gets home at like 8 p.m. I have like after school, like 3.30 until 8 p.m., no one's checking on me? I'm in grade eight? Oh my God, like let, I'm playing outside way past when I should. I'm caring about things that I shouldn't care about. Um, you know, just acting quite reckless. Like that was probably the, the most reckless I've ever been. And my dad started seeing that, you know, my behavior wasn't conducive of someone who was being progressive. He was just, you know, trying to take advantage of the situation. Um, and so, but I got to kind of like, what I got to see in that moment was that like sometimes where you're running from and where you want to get back to, it's not that, it's not like, we, we, in that moment I thought that the past was better than the future. 
Mm. I didn't care about the future, right? I'm in Winnipeg. I gave it no chance. I gave it no optimism. I was in a state of, I don't care about the future. I want to go back to where I was. I want to go back to the past. And what I realized in that, that year shift was that the past wasn't actually what I was scared of. What I was scared of was being alone. Mm. What I was scared of is having to, and I didn't have confidence in myself to be able to, I thought that that football game thing was a fluke. Like I thought that that environment would never happen again. And what I was scared of was, I don't think, how am I going to find something like that Anything again? Like, yeah, ever. Okay. You know? Yeah. And so when I went back and I slid back in there, it was almost like the two worlds. Like I lived in Winnipeg for a year, didn't really give it a chance, went back to the environment I came in and I was like, well, I didn't know these guys before I, I put in effort anyways. Right. And, and the long story short goes that like that year, my dad couldn't deal with me anymore. He thought that I was just, he was like, yeah, you were sad in Winnipeg and you're abusing the situation here. So we're not going to stand for this. So the parents, they, they came together and said, now you're going back on a plane. You're going back to Winnipeg. Now you've lost your privilege. <laughs> and so I get sent back to Winnipeg, but this time I'm different. This time I'm like, how old are you now? I'm in grade eight. So it was grade six, grade seven, then back for grade eight. Um, This time I'm like, all right, well, you you, you lost your veto card. Like that was, you can't play that card again. That was a one-time thing. You blew that. So all I got to do now is I got to make, I got to make some friends. I got to figure out who I am. Got to recreate that football moment in in Winnipeg. I got to recreate that football moment in Winnipeg. And the first thing I noticed about Winnipeg at the time was that it was a lot more diverse than the schools that I went to, Mm -hmm. which felt already like I didn't have to have the identity thing. Like I already felt like one one of the first things I remember happening in Winnipeg was a girl was like, I love your Afro. And I was like, what? I was like, you, you love what I'm doing? Something I'm doing, you love? And I'm, not even, I'm like, my hair just grows like this. I'm not trying. Right. You know? And it was like, those are like the original comments for me of like accepting who you are. Like, I can't change my hair. So I'm thankful that you love it. Imagine you hate it. What if you said, I hate your hair? I can't do anything about that. That's how my hair grows. Right? And... At that point, I had already kind of like built up my mechanisms. Like my hair was my distraction for my teeth. Like at that point, I was a well-oiled machine. Like I knew how to like manipulate the bullying. Like I was like, yeah, like I have ugly teeth and they're huge, but my hair is bigger than my teeth. So you're gonna look at my hair. You're not gonna look at my teeth. I laugh with my hands in front of my mouth. Like I figured out all the different ways to like protect my insecurities. Um, and I knew that sports was my crutch. That was my crutch. I was like, oh, you played football last time. Like what sport are you gonna play now? I picked up a basketball. I was like, well, we're playing basketball now. Started playing basketball, made the basketball team. Now I'm known as a guy at the school with the big afro on the basketball team. That becomes your identity, right? And I wanted to share that story, that trajectory, because you're the guy with the afro who plays on the basketball team then becomes too much of your identity. When you, when you ride that out and you find a lot of success riding that specific formula from middle school to high school to university and I'm going to skip all of those chapters and then in university you lose basketball well who the hell am I now do you feel like once you got like to the point where it was like okay this is too much of my identity 
do you feel like that was still kind of connected to your I would I don't want to call it fear but like your dis like the way that you didn't want to be alone you know like do you feel like that was still kind of attached like those two things there do you feel like if you was it just being yourself that you felt like if I don't lean into this too much what people expect from me being the basketball player and stuff like then these relationships where I am now that will cease to exist or something like where like I I, I want to I don't know I'm just kind of poking at it you know? Yeah, no, I think I think what you're trying to get at there is, is is super important because for me it was like it wasn't like other things in my life weren't going well, right? Like there was times where other things in my life were not going well, you know. You're starting to like like you're starting to like girls and you're starting to like you you know in the school who's attractive and who's not and who's getting attention and who's not and you're aware of all of these things. So all of those things are playing on your mind, but I had basketball. So it didn't matter. Because at the end of the day, I belonged to something, and it was the game. So whatever I was feeling, whatever the basketball was my meditation. Basketball was my way to like, okay, yeah, you might be feeling like you're not worthy of a girl or worthy of this or worthy of that or smart. You know, you're not getting straight A's in school. Whatever you're dealing with in high school at the time for me didn't matter because of basketball. And that was my crutch. That was my savior. And I, I wrote it all the way into university. Nothing mattered. I could deal with everything because I had basketball. And um, I moved out. Um, I started living on my own when I turned like 18. Um, and that was the first time I kind of burdened real responsibilities, rent, going, trying to go to university, pay through, paying your way through university, two jobs, the whole lot, like trying to figure out, like, you know, what do you do with that? no mommy, no daddy? Um, and even in during those times, I remember I would, I'd be eating like cereal for breakfast, cereal for dinner, like tuna, like on, on a, a really rough diet. Like when you were talking about like self-care and all those things, but all that also still didn't matter because I was still playing basketball. Like it didn't, like none of the things ever really affected my mental because I had a sense of belonging to something that I felt was so true to my identity that somebody told me a long time ago, you're that kid with the Afro who plays basketball. And I was like, oh, I'm still that kid who plays basketball. That's still an identity that I have. So therefore, things can fall apart. But I got that identity. So um, let, me, let me ask you this then to kind of further it then I, and then maybe go full circle on it. Because um, I, I, I have a lot of I, I played basketball growing up, too. You know, I had a lot of friends that went on to be these big basketball players at these big schools and stuff. And it's a large part of their identity, too. And after school had ended you know so many of these people that i had made maintained friendships with that weren't playing basketball anymore maybe they didn't go pro maybe they didn't they weren't able to find uh you know a, a, another part of their chapter that also revolved around basketball or them playing basketball and it's like a very big detriment to their mental health you know it's like Especially if you were really good at it and you got most of your livelihood was that you got your education paid for through playing basketball and then for like life to come be like, okay, well, you can't play basketball anymore. You know, this is this is it. You got to you got to be an adult now. You got to be a man. Um, How was that navigating for you? Like once you were kind of confronted with that kind of moment of like, okay, well, basketball isn't going to be forever, isn't going to be what I isn't going to be my main thing here. So how, how, how was it confronting that? Perfect. Cause that's exactly where I was kind of going to go. Um, it was probably third year, 
my third year in university, I had played two years at the college level and then I had redshirted for um, one year and my plan was to play that fourth year and pretty much all things were pointing to I wasn't really good enough to play at that level. And it wasn't even like I'm not good enough as a basketball player because I know to my core that I could have played at that level, but I was also living on my own and carrying the load of everything else. So it's hard to get in the right reps when you're working two jobs, you're trying to pass school, and you're trying to play at the highest level that you've ever played at. Damn near impossible. And so my work ethic wasn't matching what I was trying to accomplish and it was just all rearing to, hey man, you're not, you're not really committed enough to basketball at this level. Like you need to be committed. And it was the first time where I had to like basically have to deal with life versus my passion. Cause you can't just, I can't shut down life, right? Cause basketball basically wants me to put in more time and I can't because my landlord will knock on my door. Right. I can't not work. So what do I, where do I find more time to put into basketball? Because I love basketball. I want to do basketball. That's my thing. But now all of a sudden I'm burdened with rent and I got to make sure I pass the school. If I don't pass, I can't play anyway. And you're dealing with like, you're not wealthy. So like, it's like every dollar counts. And it was all just, you know, you're going up against guys who it's only basketball for them. They're not juggling all of those things. They're putting in the time. They're putting in the sweat equity. Um, and they're they're naturally gifted. And when you show up to practice against those guys every single day, you're going to get your butt whooped. And so I had to, had to quit. And I think losing that identity was really, really hard. That was like, and it still is a catalyst of like my rat race for trying to figure out what I am. Because I still have not found something I feel that integrated into. And it's the search for that that sometimes really messes with your mind. Will you ever find it? Will you ever love something as much as you love that? Will you ever be admired as much as you were when you were playing basketball? Could you ever be a captain at something else? Could you ever be in a position where you're getting the attention that you want? All the things that basketball gave me, I started asking, my questions, my, I started asking myself questions of like, will I be able to ever attract any of those things again if I don't wear a jersey? And Quitting, I remember being like, I'm just a student now. Like, I'm just a university student. I just go to class. And mind you, people know you played basketball, so they ask, why aren't you on the team? Where, what happened? What's going on? And you got to say you quit because you weren't good enough. And you don't have a plan B. Like, you don't even have like, hey, I quit and I'm going to pursue medicine. Or I quit and I'm going to like, I quit and I have no freaking plan. Like, I just lost my identity and I have no idea what I'm going for. I don't know what I'm doing next. And you're seeing the guys in the hallway. They're dapping you up across town, you know, in the other university. My best friends are playing there. And it's, it's that original identity, like, lost with 
you know, that I, I empathize with this feeling of being lonely because it's crazy. It feels, I know what it feels like to be lonely within yourself and to lose something that, you know, validated you as a human being. And now you have nothing to validate you as a human being. And, and so I started to try to do other things. I started to, you know, I started the game of just trying, just try, what's the, try this, try this. So I joined a, a, uh, business competition that was called JDC West. And at that time I was nowhere near an academic. So I was like, Oh damn, like, I don't know if I could do this academic stuff, but there was a position there was like, they had an, they had a social part of the team where it's like they did these like amazing race challenges so it was like one component was like it was like 12 of the teams were academic and then there was this one team that was social and it was like you could get on that team and it was about like the social light of business like they were trying to highlight that like you need to be social in business and um they put me on that team they're like you could be on that team like, yeah you have a big social life and at that time i was a very social guy and that was like my step into being like okay well what does being an academic look like you know, I didn't go in at the academic level. I went in at the social, but it was like, I'm here. So what are all these other people doing? That led to me getting a degree and becoming a student at the end of the day. But that whole time I struggled with like, you know, just being a student. Still always wanted to be a basketball player. I still hadn't let go. Then I started traveling. And that was cool again. I found that, I found that vibe again. I was like, oh, what I'm doing with my life right now is cool to people. And... I was, I was loving the attention I was getting, but it, I was still lost in who I was. Just because you're getting attention, and I hope that resonates with people, just because you're getting attention doesn't mean that you can't be lost. You can be getting the attention that you want and still not feel good with who you are inside and what you want to do because you still don't have a game plan. You don't have a game plan. And me being an overthinker and wanting to plan my life out, not having a game plan was hard for me to deal with. My personality was also affecting my mental health because my personality wants a plan and I don't have a plan. And so that rat race of being out in Europe and Australia of what's my next basketball? What's my next basketball? What's my next basketball? Asking myself that same question for two and a half years led me to depression because I couldn't answer my own question I didn't know what the next basketball would be and I changed my environment to get away to buy more time really Mm. I was like let me go travel and buy more time to answer this question because people think that if you don't know what you're doing you should go travel Mm. so I was like oh I'll buy more time I'll get out of here I'll buy more time and I'll think about it a little bit harder because I have a degree now and I should know what I want to do and should have I should have a clear picture of what my plan is and I traveled and the whole time I was traveling, I was just looking for answers. Like, I don't even think I was ever present in the travel. I think I was just hunting. Someone tell me what I'm going to be. Have a conversation with someone, hear them out. How does that relate to me? What am I doing here? What am I doing there? And when you, when you run the same question in your mind over and over and over and over again, and there's no output for that question, you start to give up. You start to fade. And at first, it's you give up on trying to find an answer. Then you start giving up on yourself. And for me, I found myself on a beach, beautiful scene, Sydney, Australia, looking around being like, there's probably, I've never been in a place 
prettier than this and I've never felt this shitty before. I feel empty inside and I feel the most at peace when I'm sleeping. The second I wake up and the game starts and the it's like a it's almost like it's like I feel like it's like boxing day when like they open the doors and like the people are like thoughts. The second the doors open and the thoughts come flying in, I just can't wait till the clo- the store is closed and all the people and all the thoughts are gone. Cuz I don't every single one of those thoughts I can't stand. One negative thought after another, after another, after another. You're trying to figure yourself out, you're trying to find some identity and you don't know who you are. So you don't even know you don't even know what to combat these thoughts with. You have nothing. You have no light to stand on. I had to just sit with it and find a reason to keep going. Find a thought. Sometimes it would be you think about a friend and a memory that you had and you go, I'd like more of that. Sometimes you maybe it's you had a cup of coffee that day that hit you a little bit differently and you're like, Oh, that coffee was good. So then what, or maybe it's still a process or, you know, how, what helped you getting out of that spot or making that spot, you know, something that you could deal with if I, I'm not sure, like quite where hundred percent where you're at with the journey now, but yeah. How did, how did you combat that? How did you deal with that after? Yeah. So that for me, that was, you know, I could only find like very, very small wins. Like I could only find like something little, like it would be something little. I felt like it was minor things that was keeping me afloat during those times. Cause it was like an overwhelming pouring of like, I don't like anything. Um, but maybe I saw a little kid smile that looked at me like directly and smiled at me. And that was, that was the motivation for the day. That kid smiled at me. You take that into the next day. That cup of coffee was good, I guess. You roll that into the next day and you just, you just accumulate enough little things until six months later, I had a, a good day. Not a, not a little kid smiled at me, but the whole day was good. Like the whole time I was awake, didn't feel that bad. And you meet another person and you meet another person and, um, you slowly kind of pull your way through, you pull your way out, you pull your way out and then for me, I just, you know, I'll let you guys share your stories and we can kind of collectively talk about, you know, how we, we got over it. But for me, it was one little win after another and finding it in the smallest places and just rolling them into each other and trying to make a ball of wins until it becomes a day, until it becomes a week, until it becomes like you had a good month. And then you slowly start to like, you know, get some of your original thoughts back of, you know, optimism and, you know, faith and hope and those kind of things. But um, it's the lowest that I've ever been. And it was an accumulation of things of, you know, tying it all together. It was an accumulation of, you know, feeling like I had no identity and no group and no friends and then finding it through sports. And then having to move and have it ripped away from you to then noticing, Oh, well, I could re I could recreate what I did by using the same skill I used. I used sports the first time. Let me use sports the second time. Oh shit. It worked. Oh, 
I'm the basketball guy. Oh, I'm not the basketball guy. Well, then now what am I? Long, empty pause. And that is where when you're asking yourself, what am I? And you disconnect. For me, that was the the period of going down the dark road because I just for too long didn't have an identity. Mm. And I felt, I, felt, I felt alone, not with people because I was very social. I felt alone with myself. I felt like I wasn't validated because I didn't have a thing. Um, even though my friends were still around and still great and still doing their thing, still like, you know, what's up, man? Like, love me, all those kind of things. At that point, it wasn't like I was looking for love. I was looking for a belonging. I was looking to be aligned with something. I was looking for an identity, and I couldn't find it. And when you travel, the support wasn't there either. My friends weren't there. So I was alone and alone. And that's why I think it all hit me all at once. Like I think that's why I got to the point of, holy shit, it's dark down here. Because that friend that comes over on a Tuesday isn't there anymore to pull you out or to like self-correct. You know, I went into... I went into the abyss with my abyss thoughts and I got a, a wild result. I got a result that I didn't want. I wasn't ready for it, but mm. that was kind of, you know, my journey into a, a chapter of my life that I would say that I was, I was definitely depressed for a good, good six, seven months um, in one of the prettiest places I've ever been in my life. Hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, it's it was just great to listen to in a weird way. Uh, just nice, nice to hear the story and to like we keep talking about in this episode today, context, right? Because every every aspect of what you just shared represents who you are today. It built up to the person you're sitting in front of us, being able to share this with us today. So I really honor your experience. Thank you. For sure. So to continue on, uh, we want to continue with story time and story story sharing. <laughs> and uh, I'm peering over at our lovely producer, well, Mr. Chris. That means I'm next. I man. feel like you need a, you need a name. We have names. I'm CKR Coach Kyle. He's A squared, even though he doesn't love it. What's yours? You have one, don't you? Uh, well, or do you want to make a new one? Chris is okay. We're okay with Chris? Yeah, because right. my media personality name is Clyde Smith, but I like the little, you know, we talk about mental health here. We get a little bit more real here oh. and stuff, you know? I can uh, I can put one of that personality aside. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm being yeah. a little facetious, but... Um, you no, know, I like it, though, because, you know, I'm going to I might call it out a little bit. It's like, it's like Clyde Smith is like, you know, not Chris... And now in the modern masculinity, it's it's Chris. I'm scared. Like I could do a whole podcast on what you're saying, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm I'm trying not to go too hard about what you said. But uh, anyways, uh, with the concept of mental health, yeah. you know, every story, every experience, every person's journey through life is valued and mm. validated and safe with this space. So I'd love to hear about your experience with it. Um, please, like interject anytime and poke at it because I, I, I think that will 
help me articulate uh, some of these stories a bit better. But you'll articulate it well. Don't devalue it. <laughs> we, <laughs> Thank haven't you. Even, we haven't even begun. Thank Come you. on, let's go. Um, okay. <laughs> my earliest memories of like mental health and and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I think uh, okay. I'll start with some of the some of the things that resonated me with me that Anwar said about just, identity. Just so everybody's clear too, we threw him on the spot so aggressively. He has not prepared. He is not. <laughs> Anwar and I are ready to go, and we have our stories set, and and we're throwing Chris under the bus. So uh, we appreciate your openness and vulnerability yeah, and willing to course. share today. And uh, we are excited, but we don't expect you to have every single detail laid out today no no, but i uh especially after hearing anwar and like him go real full circle man Mm. like he really like explained you got to kind of know every detail um i'm I'm gonna try and hit his all all the main ones that that i can with myself but i think my earliest memory about mental health i remember not liking okay you know anwar was saying about identity right and he was saying kind of how like okay people would make fun of my teeth you know and that wasn't that that was something so i would kind of distract from my my teeth and because i got compliments about my hair you know um i always i i feel like i always got negative comments about my hair you know when i when i was younger and I always thought it was because my, the reason my hair was different was because I was black. That is why. And like, I remember all the kids, they would gel their hair and they put color in their hair and stuff like that. And just like, I don't know, as a black person, it doesn't, it, it doesn't hit the same, you know, you can't gel your hair and make it all spiky. This is when I went to school, right? When that was cool, I guess. Uh, and I remember telling my mom, I wish I was white, you know, and I, and I remember really, uh, really not liking being in my own skin, you know? Um, and then I think as early as like age nine, I think I was. Just for context, you're also you're also mixed, right? Yeah, I'm so, biracial. So yeah. I, I, I told my white mother that I, 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 w- I wish I was white. I think mm. I would look better. I would be cooler if I, if, if I was white, you know? I feel like I would get girls if I was, if I was white. That, I remember expressing that to her from a very young age. Um, and then I'm trying. And then I think as early as the age of nine, I was. I remember writing. I remember journaling. I guess it's a form of journaling. I remember writing down like, "Man, I'm I'm unhappy. I don't like life." I remember writing that down as a nine year old on like a notepad, and my mom finding it and having a little conversation about it, and it not uh, being too much of a thing after. Uh, and that's age nine, and. I think uh, when I was in grade six, I don't know how much, how many years that is in between being age nine and, and, and grade six, but I remember a lot of these, uh, a, a lot of these like self worth and like, I, I don't know if that's identity, but like just I didn't, I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like being in my own skin, and it was starting to manifest in really ugly ways. I remember in grade six, uh, you know, everybody. I think that that was kind of in my school when people started dating you know and having girlfriends and and stuff and i remember asking out a girl to to be my girlfriend and she said no and i remember her telling because i had cornrows at the time i remember and like i remember one time they asked me like my friends had asked me oh do you wash your cornrows when it's like in like that and i remember saying telling them no so they were like oh you don't wash your hair and then, like that was just like a thing people would say to me. And I remember this girl telling her friends, "Oh, I didn't. I, I said no because he has cornrows and he doesn't wash his hair and and all these things." And I just had such low self esteem. Self esteem is going to be a big uh, theme uh, for this. Uh, I, I guess my experience. 
But and then grade grade six, um, that was the first time that I had self harmed mm. as, as a result from this. And um, this is uh, you know a really ugly practice, a really um, uh, trigger warning for anybody you know that that you know self self harm is a is a coping mechanism, is it not? I, you know what? I shouldn't even be putting terms on that because I, I, I probably don't have like the, the right kind of, you know, verbiage. Was it, was for, it a coping mechanism for you? Here, here's what I can tell you about what I was feeling when I was in grade six and I self-harmed for the first time. I just remember the, because I, I, I don't want to, because this is such a ugly thing that I don't encourage for anybody to do. And I, you know, offer support and to anybody that's experiencing self-harm and is resorting to that you know i at the time i was kind of i wanted to feel something it felt like you know i i, I remember doing it and then feeling like ah oh, like this this feels good like fine i feel like a little like kind of alive and i don't think anybody should do that for that feeling if you're kind of trying to feel alive i don't recommend um you know self-harm that was not the only bout that I've had was with, with self-harm in my life, but that was as early as it was. Now, I, I, I feel like I was always a kid that liked uh, emotional music. I was always like really deep and stuff. Somebody would, it wouldn't be a stretch for people to call me an emo kid. I remember that kind of having that sort of identity with, with kids and friends growing up. So I was always kind of like that, but never really had any kind of serious bouts or anything like that. Self-harm would kind of pop up here and there, but it wasn't. Uh... So then. Do you feel like you aligned with that ego or sorry, the emo space? Do you feel like that's what you were? No, I, I don't think that was what I was. I think I was a really emotional person. And like, I think I was more comfortable expressing those types of harsher emotions about being depressed or having suicidal ideation or, or self-harm and, and stuff like that. I think I felt really comfortable expressing that. And that was kind of the box I was put in because of that. Or at least that's how I felt, where, mm. where I felt I was placed, you know? So kind of all had these issues that would mildly come here and there. I remember doing counseling in, in grade six and seven. Um, I really appreciate, you know, uh, I, I had a mother who was very supportive for a lot of these things. But I still even remember back then, she still didn't even really know. She was kind of like, okay, you have you have some things you want to sort out. Let's do counseling. You know, I I don't I don't think she was, I don't think she, it, it had registered yet. You know, maybe the severity or maybe it hadn't even really gotten there yet with my issues. But okay, uh, I so then I was grade six. I do high school. Um, Before you move on, what do you feel that you were in counseling for? What was when I was when I was in counseling? That was more so uh, when my dad had left the household where I had grown up. Um, my my dad had like a pretty good job. I remember for the first like nine to twelve years of my life. You know, we lived in a pretty big house in Oakville, and I was very privileged. And then around that time, around this nine to twelve, that grade six kind of, he moved out. He lost his job, so he wasn't really able to financially provide for us. And my mom had got multiple sclerosis, so she wasn't able to really work either. So it was like a lot of these things that were kind of um, that were being thrown at me. So when I was doing the counseling in grade six, I was more so because my dad had stopped uh, being in the house as much. And uh, 
Yeah, I, I think that was sort of, sort of the main reason and what my what my mom was trying to to help that that sort of issue of there not being as uh, a father figure in the house as much. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then uh, elementary school, high school. I don't think I had anything too too serious happen with with mental health. It was definitely an issue. I would definitely feel sad. I would definitely feel depressed. I would definitely. Um, get into these relationships and when they would end it would be devastating Um, and like I I almost like maybe I shouldn't or maybe I should I don't know I kind of take I I always blame myself for that kind of stuff you know like looking back at it I feel like I was I would I would I would throw myself into those in those situations and um, almost take on too much emotion in uh, these these heavy things in relationships when you're too young to really, you know, when you're in high school and and stuff like that. But anyways, moving through high school and yeah, right. So I did a fifth year of high school. I graduated and everything, but I wanted to get into this specific program at Ryerson. Mm -hmm. So I did a fifth year. All my friends went to university and then I didn't get in after taking that year to Ryerson and then after I didn't get in my father had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and he lost his vision and uh I and then I turned 18 so then because my mom was (laughs) I'm giving so much information about my family but uh I remember I turned 18 so that meant I was like an adult or something in the eyes of like the people who give out disability for you know for for my mom who had multiple sclerosis at the time so she would get a certain amount of money because i was deemed as a kid and you know so at that point we we uh, like our financial situation was a lot worse my dad is fighting for his life almost at, at this point i remember and i remember that's when self-harm became more prevalent in my life um and yeah that it was a very ugly hospital situation that lasted a, a really long time and you know I think over the process severed ties with my dad's side of the family over just the drama and stuff that would come in the in the hospital and then I remember you know they kind of we severed ties and they wanted nothing to do kind of with my dad or anything so we kind of had this this sick guy this sick man who lost his vision and you know had been living an unhealthy life up to that point and we kind of had to teach this me and my mom took in this this man already our financial situation our everything isn't the greatest you know so we kind of took on my my dad and helping him get his own disability means like for money and we had to you know i had to talk to all these litigators and went to court for all these things just for this man to be able to have you know basic income to to cover a rent or, or his food and stuff i remember that was like a very uh it was a very strenuous process. Um, and then just being like almost disowned from like my dad's side during that process was, was very difficult. I, I feel like for me mentally, um, I definitely like, I, I know that because a lot of my mom, my brother and all the people who are in that, uh, with me, they've like already found forgiveness for them and stuff. And I, I mm. still, I'm like really like, I don't, I don't fuck with them, you know, what's the, um, during that time, right. We're talking a lot about the experience and what's yeah. happening. What's going on in your mind? Like, what are you during that time? What are you feeling? What are you mm-hmm. saying to yourself? Like, what's what were you carrying? A, a like, lot during of, that um, time. During that time, I was carrying a lot of ugly things, or really a lot of bad things. Um, like I said, self esteem was something that, at this point, literally, 
Um, there's a there's a comedian named Neil Brennan, and he has this special called Three Mics, and it's like one mic is stand-up comedy, one's one-liners, and the other is just mental health. And he talks about his mental health experience, and he talk and he, he talks about his um, his his concept of self-esteem, and he describes it as I didn't really have self-esteem. Like I didn't really have the foundation or the mental makeup for that. So you give me a compliment, you give me a trophy or something. I don't really have the shelving for that. You give me a I don't know where to put that in my brain. You know, you say something nice to me. I don't know what to do with that when I take it in my head. You know, great metaphor. So, yeah. So that's how I felt. I remember at the time, and I still am struggling with with things like that. But I, I that's that's definitely where. I, yeah. And I was really angry. I remember at that at that time. I, you know, going back to I guess the the previous or we did an episode about anger. Um, I was so angry at that time. You could like I could get a get loud about anything. I wasn't necessarily physically aggressive with people, but man, I was hard to talk to. I was hard to say anything to during those times. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a lot of um, suicidal ideation, I feel like was happening around that, around that time. It, and it was rough. And like, I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit, you know, things we've, we eventually get settled with my dad. I finally get in the Ryerson, you know, things are looking up a little bit, you know, we sold our house in Oakville. My mom got a big return on that. So finances are a little bit better things, life, those circumstances, those things that kind of led me to be that way are getting a bit better. You know, I'm worse though than when it started like mentally, mm-hmm. right? I I'm so much worse. So I'm in university um trying to and and this is this is the moment this is this was the moment for for my family they didn't and i'll I'll be careful when i say this too because i had a lot of conversations with them about this i think they didn't really even have a concept of mental health before this they may have had a perspective a may a more old-fashioned perspective about depression what is you're not depressed you know like come on you know that's that's a real thing that you get clinically there are people who are really depressed chris you know like um, obviously not how they feel now. They've, you know, they've learned and, and unpacked certain things. So I don't want to put that on them too much, but I just remember them not really thinking, okay, things have been rough. That's why Chris is sad. Things are okay now. He'll get better. And so, um, my friend had, uh, had her birthday party and it was my second week of university. And I remember trying to find a place downtown Toronto and like had this place lined up and then the like land o- the the people who owned the place kind of last minute pulled out and I was really upset about that. And my friend was having a birthday party and it was bottle service and we were going out. And I'm not like a clubber, I'm not a huge drinker. I'm more um, you know, there's there's yeah, that's it's not really like my vice or anything like that. Um but I just remember being so upset about the two weeks prior about not getting this place leading up and we went out and uh, we had bottle service and I'd never really had bottle service before. I've never had, I've never been in a party environment where someone gave me a full bottle of alcohol. So I remember they gave me, they, they like we're, we're drinking and I'm like, when I would think about only things I could remember, I remember filling up cups with no ice in it to the brim with liquor and not putting chase in it. I remember just drinking it. This is, it was super unhealthy, super addict character. I'm not like a drinker or anything like that. I've never been that type of person. Anyways, this is the first time and only time ever in my life where I drank and blacked out and I just don't remember what happened. And I woke up like at a Tim Hortons and my wallet was gone. I had like $20 in cash with me that was gone. 
Um, and still to this day, there was eight hours of my life that just happened, that took place. I have no idea what happened, right? And I just remember, yeah, like it was just, it was like rock bottom, you know? It was like, I was so down bad. I had everything that I wanted. I'd finally gotten into school. I'd finally, you know, finances were okay. You don't have to worry about money. You don't have to worry about eating and stuff. Like it was that, the finances were like that, where sometimes I wasn't sure where I was gonna eat again, you know? So. I have all, and, and that was kind of the moment to my family where like, oh, Chris, we, we need to prioritize Chris's mental health here. We need to make sure he's okay, you know? And that was the first time I ever spoke to like a psychiatrist or like a real, like a, like a, like a really decorated uh, psychologist or something like that. Um, yeah. And then I remember, yeah, that, that, that was kind of how that happened and started for me. Um, do you want more of this experience? Should I? Is there any? It's your experience. Okay. Really, I think that uh, I I want to open up the floor as much as you are willing to share. I'm. I'm. That's why I I can totally keep going too. But it's like, is there any? You know, like the floor is open too. Yeah. I no, think you want to question or poke at about that. Yeah. No. For sure. It's not more like it's not more about if there's something more that you have to say. I think just in the in the story i'm engulfed in listening right now i'm just really trying to listen to the story and hear some of the um because i think that in doing we're doing lengthy stories this is obviously going to be a longer podcast right but what we're hoping is that from every single story that you hear you might recognize patterns that maybe you had with thoughts and circumstances that maybe you had right you yeah. know, a lot of the things that I'm hearing, you know, in some of the story that you're saying is that sometimes when things are going south at home, you start to like start to show up in other areas in your yeah, life and you start yeah, to yeah. look for different things, right? Like self-harm or yeah. like drinking yourself under the table or like whatever, whatever the thing is, is to, to feel or to, you know what yeah. I mean? And, uh, and in my story, there was a lot of the identity, like it, there was a lot of it was about identity. Like I was, mm. there was, there was a loss of identity. So I think it's just tell the story and, you know, kind of um, where it leads you, it leads you. And, um, and I'll, yeah, I'll, and, I'll get there kind of where it led me and where it leads me right um so after that happened you kind of take a after you have a moment like that and you have people kind of taking a critical very critical analysis of your past and like wait when that happened that was that was kind of weird when that happened wasn't it and you're kind of recanting these things and it's like oh yeah there's there's something wrong with chris we need to you know and so from that point it was um a lot of different doctors different psychiatrists, a lot of consultations. Um, And I finally, you know, uh, found a facility, a doctor, a psychiatrist that I felt, I'll say got me. I feel like they they understood me. I I, I don't know if it's fair to say that these, the other people that I saw didn't understand me, but I don't know, I felt the most comfortable with this. I I got um, a diagnosis for, for a mental illness. And that was the most, that is still to this day, the most clarity I've ever gotten <laughs> ever in my entire life was just like, oh, that's why that makes a lot of, s- when I do this, it's be, oh, you know, and that when, when you have like a diagnosis to your behavior that isn't good, that is unhealthy, that is, you know, it, it, it was the biggest moment of clarity I've ever had. Um, and they, then, and that's when kind of, People, they, they start prescribing medications and stuff like that. Um, that could be a podcast in its own self about medications and mental health disorders. And is it, you know, 
I, I, all I'll say about it is like, I think everybody's different. Everybody's journey is unique. Meds work for some people. Some people, they don't. Um, I'm going to try and leave it at just that. But yeah, lots of, lot, yeah, there, there, there was, um, and, and I remember trying therapy, you know, right when that happened. Like, got a diagnosis. They got me on meds. I'm trying to make these meds work. They weren't really working for me. They weren't making me feel that good. I felt like the volume was turned down on who I was, you know? Um, and I'm, I don't know. I'm also a creative person, too. Uh, and a lot of people who have mental health disorders that are creative people feel like that's kind of how it is. It kind of feels like it's turning the volume down on you. I don't know. That, that's how I would describe it. Um, and why it wasn't a good experience for me personally. That doesn't mean if you're a creative person, that's how you'll feel. I think meds can be the difference maker for some people. I just, you know, everyone has their own journey. Um, so where has that kind of led you to like now? Yeah. So where so this how is, did, how do you, how do you feel like you've managed like the childhood trauma, everything that's kind of gone on? Um, how have I how, managed the childhood? Probably not as good as I probably should have. And where it's led, and the reason why is because what I realized through all of this is that I don't take care of myself properly. It is no. self-care, right? I have a bad sense of self-esteem. You know, that, that's kind of what it led me to is that I, that is it right there is I need to think better of myself. Like Chris needs to really like Chris, you know, and that's where it led me to. Um, and that, if, if, if you recall the, the spiritual journey episode that, that we had, um, that is the, that, that is the process I'm in right now is, is kind of making that better is making is, is honoring that. And like I said, I, I tried therapy when I got this diagnosis two, three years ago, I, I I'd say, and I tried therapy at the time and I just remember it, it wasn't working. Like it didn't, I hated going to, it, it was almost like a more of a chore to go to it. And it was, uh, I didn't have a therapist. I feel like that got me. Maybe that is a good, I, I think, you know, I think it's more important for therapy, you know, uh, to have someone that you have like a middle ground with, or at least, you know, you feel comfortable with. Right. And, uh, I never even really wanted to do therapy. I almost like didn't even care. And that's part of the, like the, the self-esteem part is like, Hey, no, you, you gotta want to better yourself and that. And I spent a lot of time in that and not even caring to want to, to, to be better. And I could say where it's led me to today definitely is that like, um, I 100% want to be better. And that wasn't something that I could confidently say before. Like I, and I'm actively working on it. Um, therapy is something like I'm literally, you know, in the middle of setting up, you know, cause I know what that would do for me and I know how that would benefit me. And it's just, I, that is such a difference for me is like, you, you can just throw yourself at therapy, you know, you can just put yourself in front of a doctor, but if you're not willing to actually want to do the work and, and put it in, it, it's almost pointless, you know? Um, so that's where I'm at now is like, I, I feel like I've recognized the problems and I, like you said in the Mucha, I have a plan now, you know, I've, I feel like I've, I've learned some things and done self-reflecting to the point where it's like, Hey, this is, what this is the plan of action that I'm going to take to improve that uh, that sense of of self esteem and how I view myself and you know it it, it uh, also will help me managing with with my mental illness and yeah mm. that's where I'm at now it's not it hasn't come full circle yet but 
I can see where it will, you know, and I couldn't before. So, mm. yeah, I'm I'm happy about that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I really I really like these lengthy stories um, because it just goes to show how different it is. Usually, when us men get together and we talk, you know, and there's a problem, we we won't go all the way as far as back to the childhood stuff that we've been told. We won't. We'll go back to like last week, and that's it. You know, and we won't we won't dig, you know, we won't dig like there's things that you're carrying for a long your mental health doesn't just go. It doesn't just collapse over one deal. <laughs> it doesn't just collapse over a single event. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a combination of like a lot of thoughts that you're carrying. And what I believe to be true is that what ends up happening is that these thoughts that you're carrying, you start to put value on the ones that don't serve you and you do it too much. You know, like I don't have, I don't have self-esteem, right? If that's a thought that came through your head and then you put weight on it, like that's probably right. And then you do that times 10 years. Now you really don't have self-esteem because you believe that you don't have self-esteem, mm-hmm. right? So I think the, just the, the way we've kind of done it here, the way that we're like talking about it in length, I just hope that like you dig this deep, you go there, like mm. go to your childhood, what were some of the first transactions you did and first strategic moves that you did? And where was the first like rejection that you felt? And what did you take with you from that rejection? Mm-hmm. And how long have you been carrying that for? Right. And mm-hmm. so I love where you, you started and where you took us and all the different and your experience was completely different to mine. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed listening to just sitting back and hearing you, you know, share your story. And, um, and just for context, before we move forward, Chris, how old are you? I'm 25. And Anwar, you're? I'm 30. And I'm 29. And so I think that the reason that I bring that up is not not because age matters, but because we're all at similar points, but still different points. And it just goes to show that age is so irrelevant in this process of figuring things out and navigating where you're at and new knowledge comes in whenever it comes in. And there's no pressure to be a, you know, 40 year old listening and being like, oh, look at them, you know, being as young as they are and figuring it out why couldn't i have done it because it's so irrelevant you could be 16 and listening to this right now and know more than we do i have no idea there there is there absolutely is and i think it's just the different context of things are going to come when they come and having conversations like this are really going to allow you to see that and and to potentially get to that point but there is no perfect answer and and what i appreciate about chris's story is like i said we put him on the spot and in that moment, it almost seemed like you had done some thought, but you hadn't tried to put it together yet for yourself in the context of everything lining up from day one to where you are now. Yeah, definitely haven't said it out loud like that. And and to hear it come out for the first time, I think that it is just so valuable for everybody listening. Because for a lot of men out there who are hearing this right now, it's going to be for the first time. And it's it's going to be difficult to work through and to not look at it as... Uh, a position in life or a point in life where it just was what it was. It w- going back and actually saying what why Anwar asked you why you were what you were feeling is acknowledging those points, those points, those moments, and those experiences because it's so much more than just this is what happened. It's so much more than that. And there's there's a an inner child in you yeah. 
that is trying to feel some things that if we don't as adults try to allow that inner child to feel those things, then we won't be able to feel those things as adults. And it blocks us from so much. So comes out in ugly ways. Then It it does. Absolutely. So I really appreciate uh, that story. It was like Anwar said, we were just in listening mode. Appreciate you guys giving me the the floor in like a comfortable space. You know, obviously, um, I I think that's a difficult thing to come across these days. Safe space, a, a comfortable space to express these types of things, especially as men. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. I, I really, really appreciate that kind of stuff. Mm. So thanks, Chris, you know, for, for taking that time and for really going into your, you know, your, your history. I know that some of those stuff is probably hard to say, you know, it's definitely not, um, it's not easy to share like that. And I think that as men, we sometimes protect our ego and don't share things that we, um, should share because that's what's going to help our mental health is that thing that you're hiding. Um, absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate it. And so of course, man, of course, we're going to get into Kyle's story here. Um, and his experiences with, you know, where mental health has come up in his life and how he's, you know, overcome some of the challenges of it and how he's in, um, how he's dealt with, dealt with it, handled it, experienced it. Um, yeah, I'm excited to hear your story, Kyle. Mm-hmm. So one thing before I even get into it is that w- what you'll all have noticed is we all have different stories. We all have expressed it in different ways. And for the last year and a half heavy, but I would say as far back as I can remember, I've been analyzing my story. And so once I was forced to put it into a context more this year than anything, when I was starting to work with youth, I really, I came to it really easily. So when I express this today, it's going to sound probably well thought out and well organized. And what I want people to know is that it doesn't matter how well thought out or organized it is. Uh, it's just more about the reflection and the acknowledgement of the story. So uh, yeah, mine started early. Definitely started early. It started when I was a child. And I note that to be true just based on my surroundings. So it started without me knowing, I think was the biggest thing. Growing up, I n- don't even really know when the idea or the concept of mental health really kicked in. Because I remember so many experiences looking back and I just, it not, in those moments, it didn't click. It wasn't oh, this is mental health. It was just, this happened. And as I was moving through my childhood, my mother had me when she was 15 years old. So I was a teenage baby. And that in itself creates a bit of a challenging environment for everybody involved, right? Because at this point, it's no longer the the mother trying to raise the children because she's 15. There's also whoever else can support at that time. And... Around that time, unbeknownst to me, when I was a child, my uncle, who I didn't know I had, um, took his own life. And so when I grew up finding that out, it really just put into context my childhood and everything that was going on and the challenges. But when I was growing up, I was back and forth between my father my biological father and my mother's house. And it was one of those weekend situations where stay at my mom's the whole time, go to my dad's on the weekend. And that really takes a toll on a child. And I don't think that's given enough credit because it's so common. And I know 
for me looking back, it was just like I was, I felt like I was being forced to choose in a way of where I wanted to be. And as a child, you don't have to have that responsibility. That's not fair. But I, I totally understand the situation. It's just, it's hard. And what came of that was a lot of resentment towards going to my father's because the environment was completely different. It was challenging in ways of uh, emotional understanding, emotional intelligence, and parenting styles. I was more harshly given um, repercussions for my behavior there in ways that probably shouldn't have been. Um, Spanking was a thing. And I'm not to say that parents out there shouldn't spank, but spanking was a thing. And that was really, that really threw me off as a kid because one place was spanking me and one was not. And so that was challenging for me to go through when I was really feeling lost and also just really confused as why I would not want to see my own father. And that made me angry. And what didn't help was his anger because he was really angry too, all of the time. And that came out all of the time. And there's just so many moments I can remember where there was just screaming matches, just outbursts and not with me, but about me. And that just kind of actually clicked in this moment. But I always knew that those screaming matches were happening and they were just to the point of just such belittlement and aggressive nature and words that just were just wild at the time for me when I was, I don't know, probably six, seven, maybe eight. And just before I get too far ahead there, there's a time I clearly remember where I was so distraught by my surroundings. I was, I think I was five. I was five years old and I shouldn't have the intelligence at this point to do that, but I almost felt like I had to at five and I was at my father's, my biological father's. And I don't even know what came over me. I don't even know how this does a five-year-old, but I said, I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to run away. I'm going to run away back home to my mom's five years old. I went to sleep. And I think I actually did fall asleep. I didn't stay up. I woke up and the thought was still there. It was in the middle of the night. And I think I got a backpack and I left the house. And I was in not a great neighborhood in the city, but I still can't believe I was five. I knew exactly where I would go and how I would get there. And so I got out, I walked outside, we were in a little neighborhood, I walked down the street, got out of the big cul-de-sac, turned right, I can see it all clearly in my head still, turned right, there's a gas station or a convenience store I think right there, I turned another right, and I got to this really big set of lights, really, really big, like highway style, but not highway style, and it was big because there was two train lines in the middle of it plus three lanes on both sides. 
but it wasn't like, like a highway, so which was wild. Anyways, it is the middle of the night. No one's around. I'm by myself, and I know exactly where I need to go. I need to go across this light. I need to go down this really long hill, and I need to get on Deerfoot, which is the highway. And I'd planned on walking the highway to get to where I needed to go because I knew that's how you got there. And you're you're five? I'm five. And I was standing at this light. It's red. I'm waiting for it to go green. I have a full idea in my head. And a cab pulls up and sees me. I'm a child. I'm so small. I can't even imagine what I would think if I saw that at the time. And he rolls down his window and asks me a question. I can't remember what it was. I think he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to my mom's. And for some really odd reason, I ended up getting in the cab. And looking back on it, I mean, A, I was five. And B, it's the middle of the night. I was probably already scared anyway. So I saw a human who was offering me help. I mean, who knows where I could have ended up, truly? For sure. Looking, looking at the world we live in now, yeah. it's a little scary to think about. Oh, yeah. But thankfully, uh, by the, the power of the universe, I was taken to a police station and I was dropped off and the police were asking me what number to call. And I gave my mother's and they called my mom and all hell broke loose. As soon as she answered that call, all hell broke loose because she was pissed, obviously. Like, why is he there? Why didn't he know? And then he was obviously confused, thought I was in bed sleeping. And I just remember them both showing up and it just being a blowout. But I got what I wanted. I got what I wanted. I went back to my mom's where I wanted to go. But it was just the wildest experience. And looking back on that moment, it was just a testament to everything that was going on. I just was so confused. And so that transcended into me not wanting to be there at all. So the weekends got less and less and I had less and less of that person in my life. And I was still so angry. I was still so angry. And so much to the point where I've expressed on this last anger episode that I went to anger management classes because I didn't know where to put my emotions. I was hurting. I was hurting. I felt, I felt lost. I felt a bit abused. And I definitely didn't feel worthy because I didn't feel like the fight was for me. I felt like I was just a repercussion of the fight. And I was, at the same time, I also felt like I was the cause of the fight. And I felt like my presence on this earth was causing this. So I didn't know what to do with that at the time. Which leads me into another story where I was in grade six and I finally transferred schools. Elementary school, I was a... That was a piece. I was a young child who was dealing with family crap, and I was all over the place, suspended. I was doing weird things in classrooms. I was, I was probably bullying a little bit, to be honest with you. I was great at soccer. Humble brag. I was great at soccer. Uh, I was on the playground causing fights. I was suspended. I was in school. Like it was disastrous. And I was going to daycare too at the time, so it was multiple environments were around, and. In November of grade six, we've, we moved. And before that, we had been constantly moving. I, I, 
I don't know the timelines, but I always refer to it as every six months we were in a different home, whether it was a new condo or a new duplex or uh, a new fourplex, just all of the above. We never had a staple home. And we finally did. We moved and we had a full home, three floors, the whole nine. And I was starting a brand new school. And as far as mental health goes, I remember not really being overly concerned with the move. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to lose my friends. Something inside of me just kind of felt like this was the right decision. But I didn't really know for sure yet what it was. I, I would say that's probably more uncommon, right? Like kids usually don't want to move. Right. And so for me, I arrived and I think I got on the bus and went to school, got in the classroom, did the thing. And I started to make friends. I've always been able to make friends easily. And so I got in there and I was starting to make friends in the classroom before either lunch or recess. I can't remember which one it was. And we get released, we go outside and, but I don't have connections yet to just go and start hanging out with people. Right. I go outside and it's winter. And I think I might've shared the story before, but we're playing this game or I see this game with all the boys. There's no girls around. It's all the boys. And you want to find your boys, right? And the strongest of the boys is throwing all the other boys down to the ground in a playful way, which is absurd to think about it these days. But in a playful way, it was a game of, can you stop me from throwing you down? And I saw that game and I didn't want to play, but I was standing in the middle of this, this space just looking like a dummy. I had to go somewhere. So I would just walked over to the general area and I was the new kid. So finally, after a couple minutes, eyes locked. And the eyes were locked on me. And I just got in there. And I remember walking up. And I almost, I, I just knew that it was coming. So sure enough, he starts walking my way. And next thing I know, his arms are wrapped around my whole body. And he's getting propulsion to throw me to the ground. And nothing happens. I don't move. And I'm standing there. And my knees are locked, my hips are locked, but he has his arms around the top of my body and he does a pull and I don't go anywhere. And it's not like I've been working out and, I, and he does another pull and I don't go anywhere. And he tried a few more times, switching positions, all this stuff, and I didn't go anywhere. I did not move. He could not throw me down. And... It was in that moment that the trajectory of my knowing that I can get through anything really started because the strongest of the people came to me and tried to do something he was doing to everybody else. And I said, no. And so I earned not only earned his respect, I'm sure at some, some level, um, but I earned my, my own respect. And I'll always refer to that moment really truly as just as the moment, a pinnacle p position of my life where I just, it almost felt like I found my worth. And then I went and finished up at that school, but things didn't stay that way. Things didn't, that, that mindset was good in the context, but you're in junior high. We all know junior high experiences. It's a different world. I really feel like truly I, junior high is identity time. 
Elementary, not so much. You're a child, you have no idea what you're doing. And then ele- junior high hits, and it's like, oh, uh oh. Like, I, f- I feel lost. And I'm sure at some level with maturity and awareness start to come through. But I, uh, yeah, so I went to this school and bullying became a thing. I have a scar on the back of my head from an accident when I was nine. And I got bullied for it, which was wild to me thinking back. But I was bullied for it. And it was by kids who were one year older than me. And I didn't know them but they were on my bus and the bus works. The older kids sit in the back and you sit in the front. What do you, what do you see now? All you see is my scar. So it was public bullying. It wasn't just behind the scenes bullying. And there was a moment where I tried to fight back. It didn't work. And I didn't really know what to do with it, to be honest with you. And I almost felt like it was normal because I knew I wasn't the only one getting bullied in the school. So I kind of felt like I wasn't super alone, but I was bullied for that. And I was, what I, what I ended up doing with that was I put myself in a position where I could never, ever be related to them ever. And it's not to say I wasn't condescending in some way with potential bullying. I'm not off the hook for that. I'm not. But what I do know is I excelled. I destroyed junior high. My grades were on a roll all three years. I played every possible sport. I made every single team. I did everything. And I did my best to make sure that no matter what that the only thing they could ever have on me was my scar. Something I couldn't control. And it was hard. It was still hard. It didn't, it didn't make the pain of being felt like feeling like you're an outcast any worse or sorry, any better, but what it did make me feel like was, in a very egocentric way, I was going somewhere and they weren't. And so I ran with that all of junior high, but one of the challenges for my mental health in junior high was similar to where you guys' stories were, is I don't know how to pick a friend group. Just because I made friends didn't mean I knew where to go. I could meet anybody and that's great, but it doesn't mean you want to hang out with them all the time or if you feel like that's the right decision. And I was always at a crossroads with two different groups with, with the group I felt was cool. And with the group that at the time I didn't feel was at least according to the school dynamics, right? It's not that they weren't cool. It's just school dynamics, the popular kids and the not popular kids. And that lasted for six years from grade seven to grade 12. And because I never knew where I was, I seeked a relationship instead. I seek the validation in the relationship because I couldn't pick. I felt like if I was over here, then I wasn't doing well in life because I wasn't with the popular kids. But then when I was with the popular kids, I didn't feel like I was making the right decision. It didn't feel aligned with me. It felt like it was dead air. 
felt like it was lost space, like not authentically me. This other group did feel authentically me, but for some odd reason in that moment, I just felt like I need to be with the cool kids. It's just the thing you do, right? So I made that transition so much back and forth. I hung out with both, but those two groups were never intermingled. And so I got a girlfriend. Grade 10, I got a girlfriend. I had many girlfriends before that. And that's not a humble brag. That's like, I was constantly seeking one to fill that space. And I, I found one that stuck and I lost a lot of friends because I didn't know where to land. So I chose not to land at all or do anything with that decision. And I, I have just avoided and deflected and spent all of my energy into this relationship. And that was interesting. That was in the moment it felt right. In the moment it felt right because I felt like I was succeeding because no one else had this at the time. And so I tried to work through that and that I lasted all through high school. And then, but that was a toxic relationship or an unhealthy relationship anyway. We were children. I didn't deal with my emotions and I was dealing with so much anger from my family, so much anger that it came out in the relationship. It came out often and uh, I ended up losing a friend uh, who was, uh, trigger warning, who was murdered. And then where I really felt like my mental health was at its lowest from there was was when that happened because I ran away from home at the same time. I did run away a second time. I didn't even really run away. I was 16 and I decided to move out. I was so distraught with family dynamics. I just moved out. And that was extremely unhealthy for me to do, but I did it anyway. And I learned from that. I ended up going back home really rapidly. And then once high school was kind of over, I was about to enter into uh, university and I have a very similar story to Anwar where the sports thing was a big part of my life. I was playing soccer my whole life and I went to soccer tryouts for university. I had an opportunity to take a scholarship and my childish mindset didn't take it. Um, why, don't, why do you feel like you didn't take it at the time? Because of the struggles that I had leading up to that season with the sport in general. So you felt like you didn't deserve one? Like you felt like you weren't good enough at the time, even after they had give, like had offered it? I had given up on the work side of things to get it done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had felt like I had been putting in so much work to be noticed and recognized for so long in that damn sport. And unfortunately, I was with the wrong club, politically speaking. Yeah. Right. Sports, unfortunately, become that really, really fast. And so I wasn't getting where I wanted to go. And then all of a sudden, 18 years old kicks in. There's three seasons at that age. And I'm with a different team one season, every single season. I'm with a different age group every single season. I'm with a different head coach every single season. Things are just falling apart. And we're not doing well because we're constantly, there's no consistency. There's no chemistry. We all know sports require chemistry. And... At the same time, I'm trying to balance a relationship that I think is my defining moment. And so, uh, yeah, when I went to that tryout, I did the tryout, but I felt like it was going to be the same as always, that we were going to go nowhere and I was going to get nowhere. So I gave up on the work. I gave up on, on, on the dream in that moment and went to school instead without the scholarship, left school, 
uh, four months later because I chose a degree that I actually didn't want to do for the long term, which was education. It's going to be a teacher. Um, but after that, again, I talk about this mental health thing in context of how I never really acknowledged that a lot of it was a struggle with mental health. I never knew. Mental health wasn't a conversation back then. No one was talking about it. They were just saying, you're depressed. And they were diagnosed you as that. Well, that's it. That's kind of all it really ever came to. There wasn't like, oh, focus on your mental health like it is today. And so there was a moment where a friend of mine um, unexpectedly took his own life. And it was a year or two before that he was actually living with me. And we ended up having a pretty bad, not fallout, but I had to kick him out. And before he took his own life, I remember seeing him in a parking lot one night. He was walking across it and I was driving. And I hadn't spoken to him in so many months. And I saw him and I said, I felt this feeling to say hi. But I was with my girlfriend at the time and I, I just felt like that maybe that wasn't the right call. I was conflicted, but I did feel the pull. Um, and it turns out that would have been the last time I would have spoken to him if I did. And so I remember being at his funeral, just feeling so much guilt for not speaking to him, for not helping, for kicking him out, for thinking he was a bad person. I just felt so much guilt. And it was evident because I don't even think his mother was as much of a mess as I was at that funeral. I couldn't stop. I put myself in a corner the whole time because I felt like my sadness was going to disturb someone because it was just, I was swimming in my own tears. And I still didn't realize it was mental health. It just was what it was at the time. It just, he took his own life. And I, at that time it was uh, drugs was involved. And so I blamed it on that. I said it was the drugs. Because in a way it was. But I never, it still never was like mental health. So that was the first person that I lost due to that. And then as I grew up, uh, over the years, I did a lot of work. I, be, I got into myself into a better position. I found a job that I could stick with long-term that really settled me. And then I started to tie my identity to the job. And then I started tying my identity to money. And I got myself into a really bad mental position where everything, everything I ever relied on was outside of myself. Nothing was coming from inside of me. It was the job. It was the muscles. It was the girlfriend or the relationship. It was the car, which is the lesson I just learned. It was my appearance, my hair, nothing, nothing was inside. And as soon as one of those things went awry, it's as if all of them did. If I didn't feel well, I was doing well in finances, 
then it all just as much felt like I wasn't doing well in my relationship and I wasn't doing well at work and I wasn't doing well in the gym. Everything just seemed to fall over when one did. And one did, one broke, the relationship ended. And I spent six months reeling. Not, I think, from the fact that the relationship was over, but the fact that I felt like part of who I thought I was had died. And I fell into a depression. And my vice was work. I spent a lot of time at work. I avoided everything else, but I just was there all the time. And if I wasn't there, I was sleeping. And if I wasn't there, I was at the gym. Gym was also my vice. And I say that when people are like, oh, the gym's a healthy, but not in the way where you can't miss a day. And if you do, you're a bag, bag of garbage because you're so pissed you missed a day. Not when it's like that. That's, that's, that's a vice. And I was just, I was hurting. I was hurting. I was in pain. I felt like my identity was shifting and I didn't know who I was anymore. I was living downtown. I was confused. I didn't want to do it. I felt like I was pressured into all these decisions. And again, I just didn't know what the inside looked like. I never took the time to see what the inside looked like. I just only ever paid attention to the outside. And so I just attached to this thing and that thing and held expectations of this thing and that thing. And I started to, started to proclaim that I would never leave the city, that I would live there my whole life. Started to proclaim that I'd be a cactus for the long haul, that I would never leave the restaurant. Just started to make these big proclamations about the rest of my life because it made me feel safe. It made me feel needed wanted in that kind of you know six months that you were kind of going through with the breakup and you're using um work to kind of deflect or not deal um with your circumstances is the strategy at during that time just block it all out Mm -hmm. and were you highly functioning because what a good thing to touch on here is that Highly functioning adults can also be depressed. 100%. Very much so. We often skip the idea that just because you're high functioning that you're not going through it inside your own mind. And there's people who will look at that and go, he's fine. Mm. You know? And we do it all the time. We almost, almost... And I wanted to share that just so that as we kind of look at our friend groups and we look at like the people that we love, don't use he looks okay, he's fine as a answer to mental health because it's not always like that, right? And so in your example, were you just, it was just out of sight out of mind during that time. Yeah, I, was, I had become a pro at deflection. I had become really, really good at it. It was a, really, it was a skill I built. I built the scale of, of ignorance is bliss. I don't need to, I, why would I need to touch on that? Why would I need to, to address that, you know? And so, and then at the same time, I had just transferred locations. I didn't have a choice but to be high functioning. Because if, if, I, if I, at least that's how I felt. If I had not been high functioning, then all of a sudden the first impression is, who is this person? He can't handle life. And now he's supposed to handle us as a restaurant. 
that doesn't make me feel good about this. I'm so happy you're bringing this up, man. That is a cycle that I fall into. You can't handle, you can't do this, then you, oh, man. I, I think men especially, we get caught up on that. Mm-hmm. In the work realm, jeez. And I was just fearful of the judgment behind it. I didn't even want to tell people that I was coming out of a relationship. I just wanted it to be, like, at that point, it had already ended, so I was starting fresh. So I just wanted to just not talk about it and just just move past it and move on. Um, and it is interesting to look back and wonder it, what kind of perception would have been different if I had expressed that that's what I was going through, but I was showing up anyway, you know? But instead, I felt like it was a negative, that it was too vulnerable, and that it made me look weak to think that I was doing both things at the same time. And so I just didn't. I just didn't. Um, yeah. So work was the vice. I avoided home at all costs to deflect and ignore what I would find if I were alone. And where has that brought you to today? Or where did that bring you to? You know, maybe there was a few other destinations mm-hmm. before today. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I had over the years after that, my identity still, it, I didn't realize in the moment that I had tied my identity up in so many things. I was still in the midst of everything and where I was at that my life, where I was at in my life before I found spirituality. And so I still had the car. That was a big component of my identity. I still had the job. That was a part of my identity. And I just never, you know, you think you're a confident person, but when something outside of you gets taken away that you felt you were confident in, it's almost as if you just don't longer believe you're confident, which is just, it was such a big learning thing for me. But in those moments, yeah, I was confident in these areas because of these areas, not because I felt like I was confident, but because I had this job. So other people saw me as confident. I had this relationship. I must be confident. If I was single, it might be different. In fact, it was. Doesn't have a car, not confident. Because he does not figure it out. So then he's not a man. So then, who the hell am I? And then I quit the job, willingly. And that was where everything really took like a biggest turn in my life, was when I quit that job. I was there for seven years. And when I left that job, that was when I had started creating my identity. I had finally started creating who I was inside and allowing that to be and exude outside. And when I started to see who I was inside, I realized, oh, none of this aligns. <laughs> none of this aligns. So I had to make calls. I had to make decisions that I didn't want to. Was there a moment where you were confronted with that? Or was it a gradual kind of process, you feel? That's a good question. When, when the six months happened, that was the start. Because I was trying to decipher where the hell I go from there. Because I'd always wrapped up my identity in relationships. And so when I didn't have that and I didn't want that anymore, I finally made the decision to stop because I realized I was wrapping myself up in in relationships at that time that I was like, okay, you're going to do this work thing now. You're going to become this and this and this with this workspace and you're going to compete. In the middle of all of that, I was prepping for a competition. (laughs) I was prepping for a physique competition, Um, which probably worked out for the best looking back because it gave me something to focus on, mm-hmm. right? Which was me. And I wasn't super, super lost in, in, in it all. But when I started to work out that, and compete, I think that's when it was 
teaching myself who I was. Even though I didn't continue with it and I had some, I have some poor reflections on it, but I think that was when I was like, oh, it doesn't matter where you go, you're resilient. Oh, it doesn't matter what's going on, you're, you're capable. Oh, I get it. Oh, you can place third. Oh, so it doesn't matter what you do, you're still worthy. Oh, okay. And it was just one after the other of these moments of really, really small aha moments that led to just the overall general feeling. And then the spiritual journey started when I watched The Secret amongst all of that. It was probably about six, it was probably around the six month, seven month mark that I was reeling from that experience. And I watched the movie The Secret, which is a manifestation movie. And then I watched Tony Robbins two weeks later. And I don't even really know how everything happened after that. It's all the blur because it's all just sped up into who I am right now. So um, I don't know if either one of you realized, but I kind of asked a similar question to both of you at this point in your story where I was like, was what was the moment? And like, what did like, what did you do? And both of you pretty much described like the little things accumulated you know mm-hmm. all those little things built up to where it was a good day or it was like hey i i have a new self-realization you know mm-hmm. and um i don't know i just think that that's a really important moral that we can kind of take away from a lot of this mm-hmm. too um absolutely little things yeah and to bring it all to full circle before we move on to the last portion of this episode is this is an important topic And always will be. And this will be just one of the many, many conversations we are going to have around men's mental health. But truth be told, there's a reason why this episode really is truly happening right now. And that's because um, when this comes out, it'll be a few weeks after. But uh, in a span of six days, three attempts and possibly, possibly three attempts, one actual death from suicide came across my space and one of them was close to me and I've always known that I wanted to support and that's why I'm on this journey but I couldn't feel more motivated to stop losing brothers and so when I talk about this having now two people who I knew very intimately and closely in my life take their own life because it was too much. And now, and reflecting on that, knowing they're me. And so many of my friends are saying, he was me. He is me. That's how I felt. And I just, I, I was speaking to Anwar about this the other day. I'm done. I am done losing them. I'm done. I don't, I don't care what I have to do. I will do everything in my power each and every moment to pay more attention, to see what's not being seen, to hold a space, to give up my time. My, I don't even care what I'm giving up because it's just, it, I'm done with it. So that's for me, you know, in context of this, this, this space, um, my friend Derek just did it, just, just took his own life. And I, um, I'm sad, but I am also angry, but I am also motivated from this experience. And that's why we're here. That's why I'm so thankful for both of you is 
I have both of you to support that journey. And so, yeah, there's more, there's more to my story, but, uh, I've shared it in other episodes. So that's, that's the childhood up until now. Thank you for sharing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think stories are also a very captivating way to understand things that aren't so direct. Um, with both of you guys telling your stories and just listening, you can picture, you know, a child and then you can try to maybe picture the emotion that they were going through at the time and how it could accumulate. And I think sometimes in life we get very fixated on our own story. You know, we believe that another person that listening can't help. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Sometimes we need to, you know, and in this conversation specifically, we need to be able to start learning how to talk um, when things are going not so well. Um, and then on the other end, if you're someone who is around somebody, it's important to learn how to listen. And when you listen to somebody's story and you listen to what people are going through, it allows you to get to that level what Kyle's talking about is being able to see it better now because if somebody who's in pain is talking to you and you're listening and you're paying attention well next time you hear those words in that order from somebody else you're going to remember what it sounded like you're going to understand those nuances um, a little bit better um, so yeah man thanks thanks for sharing mm-hmm. um I think one thing we can definitely take away from all three of our stories and the, the, the route that we took was um, going further back. Mm-hmm. You know, start with, your ch- start with your childhood and think about some of the, some of the areas where you've, the events, right? Like we all kind of started telling stories and it's crazy how you can just like, as you start to think about your childhood and you, you, events will pop up in your mind. You'll go from like, all right, I'm going to start with my childhood and then <laughs> boom, event number one will enter your mm-hmm. mind and then event number two will enter your mind. And mm-hmm. it's like those things don't just enter your mind. Your brain is very good at pushing away things it doesn't care about and pushing things that it cares about to the front. So obviously those events meant something to you at, in some capacity. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and reflection on childhood, you know, you, a lot of people are like, I don't remember what I was doing when I was five, but you're just not doing the, the... There's a part of your brain that remembers. 100% there is. It's just not there right now. And I guarantee you, if you just said a story about when you were eight, a story when you were six would come up. And then maybe a story when you were three would come up. And then, oh, there's a story about when I was five. It's all there. We just don't spend the time to look at it. And I get that. I totally understand that. Um, but it's always there. It's always there. I think that's what we should be aiming to be better at, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. expression. Mm-hmm. Saying it just... Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've noticed about this inner child work is that any, almost all the spaces that I found that are supporting and teaching this inner child support is like 95 to 98% women. The amount of men that are doing this work is so small. And it makes me kind of feel like an outcast a little bit, but it's just, it's, it's pretty eye-opening. And it's not to say that one space is better than the other. It's just that collectively where the problem is still persisting. And a lot of times we're just not in that space to do the work. And what I think I'm hoping to share with you and why we're having this conversation is just a start. 
just to start because it's so useful so useful So in the last segment here, what we wanted to do, um, we wanted to really focus on, you know, creating creating an episode that covered an educational component, an experiment component, um, and lastly, kind of just what are some things that we've done to help get out of those holes? You know, what are some of the things that we've done to be able to find a way to find self-worth and that self-care and that, that hope? Um, and how have you kind of helped maybe people that are around you through things like this? Um, and so this last kind of chapter of the this episode, we want to focus on, you know, what are some of the ways that we found solutions within our own mental health and how we manage it today? I know I mentioned earlier um, that I'm dealing with a lot more mental challenges, but I'm more equipped and I'm more prepared. So what does that mean, right? What did I do? Um, and this section here isn't a, you know, prescribe advice on how to get out of yours it's more to offer some more perspective on what i was what i've been able to kind of do for myself and if that helps then great um but we wanted to definitely leave you with some of the tools that we've used in our own personal lives to help build up a shield and build up a a fighter's mentality or warrior's mentality against you know um some of the battles that are going on in our mind um and for me, I can start. So, I mean, the that, that chapter that I talk about um, when I was really, really down, when I was down bad, that chapter for me is 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 is, is kind of been my, I guess, my 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 benchmark for what down bad feels like. Mm. You know, I kind of understand now how down bad I can be and how low it can be and what how dark those clouds were. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I try to not confuse those days with days where it's partly cloudy, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's very simple. It's very easy to go down, you know, a really bad rabbit hole with a partly cloudy day versus a hurricane, you know, hurricane day. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so for me, I try to just be cautious of every single day. Like, what am I thinking about? You know, um, simple things that I do is I don't avoid silence with myself. You know, often there's times where I think in this generation, we use things like social media and music and all these other things to bombard our mind with more thoughts. I do think that like when you're having partially cloudy days, it's important to get all the other thoughts out and focus on the ones that are in your, in your house. Um, and help kind of move like move them around, think about them differently, find more information about it. And so something that I often love to do and, you know, is if I often say I'm going to listen to music on the way to work, if I wake up and I'm not feeling it, I don't listen to music on the way to work. I listen to myself. I'll walk the, the path and I'll just focus on what I'm thinking about and start to start, start to organize what I'm thinking about. But say I woke up and I feel a 10 out of 10, then I'll listen to music that day because I'm a 10 out of 10. I feel great. I'll do what I want to do today. But I don't ignore like me not feeling like myself. Anytime that that happens, I, I try to address it the best way that I can. Mm-hmm. Another way I'll try to address it is um, reaching out to my friends, mm-hmm. reaching out to people that I care about and not even to tell them that something is wrong, but just to have a conversation. Gotcha. 
get out of that lonely space, get out of the space of like self-sabotage of like whatever I'm telling myself, like maybe I've just been alone for too long and I'm allowing all of these thoughts to enter my space. I need to get out of my environment and like go into a different environment. Right now in the pandemic, the, it's, it's a FaceTime where normally it would be call a friend up for lunch or like go hang out with somebody um, because sometimes the isolation of what you're going through is what makes you feel like you're alone. And it's because you've isolated yourself. So it's like there is probably someone that can relate to you, but you haven't given them a chance to relate to you mm. because you've pulled yourself out of the equation. Right. And so I try to make sure that like if I'm going down that path that I don't go avoid and I don't go run and I don't go lonely, I'll come out. Maybe I'm not ready to say the words, but I'm not going to hide. I'm going to go and try to hear some familiar words or maybe someone else is going through something I'm going to. Maybe that will manifest into me sharing what I'm going through, but at least I'm going to get my foot out. Um, so definitely talking to people. So listening to myself, confining in other people. Another thing that I, I often do is I try to not judge myself for how I'm feeling. How I'm feeling isn't who I am. It's how I'm feeling. And there, it's different. And I think it took a lot of maturity and understanding and different chapters of my life to understand that finally that how I'm feeling isn't who I am. How I'm feeling is how I'm feeling. And so if you're feeling unconfident, that doesn't mean you take it to the extreme of going to your character now and you erase confident off your character because right now you're not feeling confident. And that's often what I would do when I was younger is if I was struggling with a concept, then I deleted it from my character. If I'm feeling something, then I delete it from my character. And now, you know, I can understand that. And confidence is one of those things during the pandemic that's happened to me. One of the mental struggles that I've been dealing with is lack of confidence and lack of, you know, self-esteem. And it's because I know that my energy comes from people and the world shut down people. So I'm not, I don't have the energy source anymore. I don't have the energy source to give me the confidence that I usually, but I know that I'm a confident person. I just know it's a time thing. So when I wake up and I'm like, oh man, you're still not feeling that swag. You're still not feeling confident. I'm not, not counting myself as not a confident person. I'm saying that right now I'm not feeling super confident. And I'm going to work towards getting back there. Mm. And it's the context of that that helps with the spiral. I feel like sometimes the the that overwhelming feeling of one thought after another after another after another and it starts to like the thoughts start to strip away your personality the 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 thoughts start to claw away at who you are as a person until there's nothing left and then there's because the only person that we fight forever is that person that we we see the person that we see in ourselves it's you versus your thoughts and if you isn't built or if you isn't understood or if you isn't painted then your thoughts are going to win because whatever they say goes. Mm. But if, if you can combat that with a, with an identity or you can combat that with, you know, an understanding of yourself, then the thoughts become thoughts and the feelings become feelings. And you always have that, you always have that groundedness to like, I'm just going through this. That's not who I am. I am just feeling this. That is not who I am. These are my circumstances, but it's not my future. And, that game to me is a lot more palatable than the game of thinking these are my circumstances that will not amount to anything because of them. This is how I'm feeling. Therefore, this is how I'm going to have to act. 
that's not an enjoyable game to play. And that's the game that got me to the the, the, the downward spiral of depression. Mm. Um, and the last thing that I'll kind of leave, and I think that this is kind of one of the most important parts, is self-awareness is, to me, the most important pillar in this whole equation. Um, because it really takes a certain level of understanding and understanding of yourself to be able to understand what you're going through. You know, even to the simplest details, like I know I'm an overthinker. That is something I know about myself because I've assessed that about myself, about a lot of different things that I've done. I always will overthink the comp. I will always overcompensate and overthink and overthink and overthink. And therefore, when I take some of these negative thoughts and I'm thinking about them, I know that the brain that's thinking about that is going to overthink that. And so when it gets to the extremist version of that, I got to understand that it's, oh, that's me. That's me taking it to another extreme. Like I'm overthinking that. Something that someone said to me one time that taught me about that whole overthinking thing was this, this expression that it's not that deep, bro. It's not that deep. And I remember hearing that for the first time being like, I needed that 10 years ago. Everything was too deep for me. Everything that was happening was very deep. I was taking things to the extreme versions and I needed to learn that not everything in life is created equal. Like some things are a deep situation and some things are just, that's just what happened. You can move on from it. But when you treat everything the exact same, then you get to a place of thinking things in a very unhealthy way, you know? For example, if someone, you know, you get broken up with and it was literally not your fault, it was someone else's fault, right? An overthinker or being too deep in that thinking, if someone else just wanted to do something different and wanted to end it for their own reasons, if you take that and you run with it with an overthinking mind and a self-sabotaging mind, now you've just spent months, years overcomplicating something that was never for you had never anything to do with you but what did that do to your mental health (laughs) and it had nothing to do with you it was never your fault it was never anything that you did It was never your character it was just that person making a decision and you overcomplicated it and you overthought about it and you've made conclusions from it now that you're carrying as baggage and so for me, that, that self-awareness piece is super important. Um, that taking some time to just not always bombard yourself with information, whether it's from others, the outside world, the external world, social media, music, like not being okay with a quiet walk to just think about what you're thinking about, especially when you know you're not in a good place. Making sense of your own situation, essentially. Like have the self-awareness and the time to make sense of what you're thinking about at least. And then having the courage to like go talk to someone about it. Don't isolate yourself. Have the courage to go talk to someone about it. Um, those are kind of the three, the three things that I would say um, I try to do actively. And I try to con- 
continuously improve on is get to know myself even better, get to understand my thoughts even better. And, you know, I'll share this one thing because um, it speaks to kind of my support circle. Um, I was speaking to, a, speaking to a friend and the conversation ended. We had a conversation. We ended the conversation. And the next day he texted me this. Yo, just wanted to check in. You didn't sound like you yesterday. That's not the honor that I know. If there's anything that you need, let me know. And I'm grateful because I know that that's not everybody's story. I know that there's people out there that don't have a friend that sends them a text message like that. And it's messages like that that make you, you know, feel comfortable in sharing whatever you're going through. That courage that I'm talking about, of course I feel comfortable telling that person what I'm going through because he's actively caring about what I'm going through. And so that's what you can do for yourself, but what you can do for others is just be aware. Switch in. Be aware, and when you see your friend is not acting as if they act, step in. Insert yourself. Say what's up. Say, and it doesn't need to be pretty. There's nothing pretty about that text message. Hey, you just didn't sound like yourself. Just checking in. Like you can talk to me if you want. You know, and we're so caught up in our sauce that we're not. You don't. You don't see something like that, and it's like, be there for someone because we can't all be there for everybody. But you can be there for someone. You're talking to somebody right now. You're friends with somebody right now. If we all just did our part and just hug the people that we were around or the people that were in our proximity we paid attention to maybe we'd have maybe we could change some of these statistics but i just wanted to share that because sometimes it's as simple as just knowing that hey i recognize that that person that i know isn't the person that i heard so let me know if you're good and then you need the courage just to lean into that if you aren't good because I know that there's people that are checking in on people and they're not sharing and so if that door opens for you and you're going through a hard time please talk that would be kind of my mm-hmm. my summary of love that appreciate that yeah, and I, it's there was a um, very prevalent passion coming through there with this whole idea of men's mental health because you know the conversations you and I have had over the last couple of days alone on top of everything that we're already doing with this podcast has almost shifted in a way, but just in a, what we already knew and just elevated way, not anything like drastic. And so I think that it's just prevalent that there's a lot going on right now and we're, we're very focused and just, I think feeling real, really, re, really aligned with, where and how and the level of support we're willing to give. So I appreciate all of that because that was great. Chris, my brother, what are you doing right now to support your own mental health? And do you have any practices that you have currently going? Where are you at with it right now? Um, You know, I hate that you're asking me. I feel like you're asking a soccer player how to do a free throw properly right now. uh, Okay. Okay. That's how I feel uh, because just, but I, I I have answers for what you're saying. Um, I, I kind of hate, and, and Mark took one of my, my main ones. 
I'll, this will be shorter too because I feel like I do have less to offer on this. But if there's anything that I am sure of, um, I think what Anwar described of things not being that deep, you know, looking at certain things that you may be taking a little too serious, a little too deep, may be a little too intense. You're making it that like you are making it that way. It's it, it can be very beneficial for your mental health to look at that thing, whatever that is, and be like, it's not that serious. Um, and probably the reason why I feel like uh, a lot of the advice I would have to give on this isn't the greatest just because I don't know if something like that works for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I think the the advice or, you know, the practices that I do are, are conditional for me it can help somebody else. Um, so, yeah, I think not to say that you should be looking at every situation that hinders your mental health that way, because as we know, there are things that are serious. Um, like our mental health. Uh, uh, One of the things that I have definitely felt um, this has helped me is just detaching and deassociating from social media when you need to. Um, You said something in previous episodes, I'm not sure if it was the last one, about uh, charging your phone like outside of your room when you go to bed or putting your your, your phone. I I did that. I did that for a few days. Um, after I heard you say that mm. and just saw the improvements. Mm. Um, whenever I know, sometimes if I'm in a really bad slump or something like that, I will deactivate my social media. Um, and while there are negative aspects about that in the sense that sometimes I feel like I really worry people if I do that. Um, I can worry friends or family members if you just all of a sudden, you know, your profile isn't there anymore. But I definitely get some clarity from that, from just not seeing everyone's opinion in posts uh, for, for a day, for a week, for two mm. weeks. I, I think the longest I've ever done is three weeks. There was a bit there in quarantine where nice. I really, yeah, detached. And I just remember at the end of it feeling I improved, you know? So that is, that is a practice that I definitely would recommend. And then um, this last one I, is very specific to me, but I also feel like it's the most universal. I have really tough mornings. Like when I um, actually Anwar articulated it extremely well in his uh, in his journey, where he talked about when you wake up, it's like uh, it's like Boxing Day, and, yeah. you know, it's like the the doors are opening. Um, mornings for the most part are like that for me, like, you know, I, I really, and I'm not a morning person, so it's just the start of the day is, is always the hardest for me. Um, and something very, very simple that has helped me with that is just getting up. Don't do social media. Don't look at your phone and stretch. Mm. I don't know why stretching has become of, I need to, so I, I've gotten to the point where it's like, okay, I need to just stretch, just, you know, sometimes in crisis even where it's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. I don't know where to put my brain. I don't know what to even physically how to carry myself. And if it's that, like, you know, uh, I guess you could, uh, you could call that a crisis panic attack when you're, when you're in the worst of it, when you're in the thick of it, stretching, I don't know. They, yoga, they, they say, is, yeah. you know, one of the greatest things. Stretching for me, if I start my day with some stretching, if I end my work day with some stretching, like before, like after I'm done editing or something, before I leave the office, bust a couple of stretches for good stretch. Like stretch till it hurts, you know? Like you will. <laughs> intentional, intentional stretch. Not till it hurts, but it's, you know what I mean. Yeah. Get a good stretch in. That has always, for me, benefited me. Sounds like a very uh, tedious, maybe minuscule thing, but um, I've I've definitely felt 
that has been a solution to me. Mm. Also in the in the process of my journey where I'm like very actively trying to develop these solutions, you know, mm. to, to get yourself out of these. So that's why I prefaced by saying, I don't feel like I'm the man to be answering this question, but that that's what I have to offer on, on that. No, oh, that's great. I thought that was fantastic. I think that it, it just revolves around the common, common theme of this conversation, which is the small things. Yeah. Like stretching yeah. is so vital to the body first and foremost, but even outside of that, I think what that attests for me very efficiently and, and articulately is that the connection between the mind and the body. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just that simple, right? Like you're not journaling, you're not reading, you're not, you're stretching. You're physically doing something with your body and that's appeasing your mind, which is just such a massive testament to this concept that I think a lot of people reject is that it's not connected. And so they just don't, they don't move their body at all. And they think that they can handle the mind by itself. It's, you know, it's rarely true. I, I actually did have one more thing to offer. Please. And I think it's just similar in that vein. Um, I used to do a lot of things that I liked doing and then tried to make that thing something like basketball, you know, I always loved basketball. I, for a point in my life, wanted to pursue it as like, you know, being an athlete and seeing if I could, how far I could take that. And then maybe when I realize, okay, this isn't maybe my main thing. I used to make music. I used to be a rapper. I used to really be uh, in, in, in tune with that. I was so serious about that. It was such a major part of my identity was being a rapper. And still to this day, hip hop is one of the biggest things in my life, right? But um, I definitely don't, I, 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 my identity is not as a rapper anymore. There's a lot of different other things I do. And I, I stopped kind of making music. I stopped writing. I stopped, you know, and I f remember like, when I started doing it casually again for fun, not to be a rapper or put it out there or even show anybody, this is just doing it, you know, uh, almost as a form of therapy at this point. And I just, yeah, I remember making like a couple few, like a few songs and stuff like that, messing around with my homie, recording some stuff and like almost taking it to the point where it's like you would put this out. Like I did it and I wouldn't show anybody it or anything, but it was like so good for my mental to do something that I, I, it's like it's almost like I forgot. Oh, you actually enjoyed doing this. It wasn't that you just wanted to become a yeah. rapper. Like, you loved making and writing music. So um, I would Im I would encourage people those things that you love, that you know you love, that maybe you started doing it for something different. Maybe you developed a different relationship with it in your life. You know, I, sports and and in, in, in the arts, I think, is the most common example. And maybe this just sounds too obscure, but like. Those little things that you knew you you loved, those hobbies, stay in tune with those or at least always have an element of that in your life. Because that, that is so flipping important, man. Just doing something you enjoy and loving it. I don't know if that's what I mean by this or anything, but just that that's that's what I have to offer. Yeah, and I know, I know we both agree 100% on the creative okay. side. Like the what this podcast has done for us yes. is yes. huge. And we didn't expect it in ways that we really couldn't see coming, but we just knew we loved talking. Me too, with the, with modern masculinity, especially specifically, because it's not the only podcast I work with, mm -hmm. but this, doing this, what we do, what Coach Kyle, A Squared, and Chris do here, yeah, yeah, definitely especially good. Especially and specifically, yes. De definitely good for, for, for the <laughs> mental. Love it. I love it. I, uh, think, I think one thing I did want to add to the, that stretching and that light work 
you know, that we're talking about too is, um, I like two, that you called it light work, by the way, continue. Yeah. So yeah. stretching is supposed to be a very like, you know, it's light, like a cool it's, down. A cool, yeah. it's supposed to be very light work, you just, know, just a reminder for um, everyone that it does, doesn't require big work, <laughs> the light work. The, um, two things that come up for me there is, um, routine. Yeah. Right. You're, you're doing it in the morning before you check your phone, like you're adding it into a routine, which means that like those things always help, right? Any kind of routine, good routines. If you control the routine, you do good routines. Those things help start the day better, right? Whatever uh, you want it to start the day better. You're like, I'm going to insert this routine into my day. Um, and the, the feeling of accomplishment and like progress, right? When you stretch and you can't reach your toes and you do it the next day and you get a little bit closer, that little, like when I'm talking about it's every little win counts, all of that counts. Facts. Every single one of those, like if you're not killing it in your career, but you can become more flexible in the next 30 days, you'll feel something from being flexible in the next 30 days. Like you will... I just think that that's why when we get so caught up in like just doing one thing, like being good at one thing, there's so many things in life that you can, you know, find progress in and find a routine in and yep. doing those simple things, getting those simple things in your, in your life, give you that joy back and give you that, that, that satisfaction of mental accomplishment and not just burden, you know? So, um, I think when you're trying to come out of like, you know, mental sabotage, you need to, your mind needs something to grab onto that is like forward moving or positive. And it doesn't need to be, you land the next big job. You mm -hmm. need to find it anywhere. You need to find that win anywhere. Um, and stretching is a great example of light work win. you know, like it's, it's, it's light work and yep. you can find a win there. And so, and it's good for you. Right. So. I learned that when I had COVID and <laughs> my body mm. was super sore and <laughs> had a lot of mental stuff going on and just stretching. And then I, even when my body stopped being sore and I didn't have COVID and I was fine, I just, it became a regular. So nice. If there's anything this pandemic has taught me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if I'll keep that, but, <laughs> uh, then like lastly for me, uh, I mean, I've been so heavy. This is what I do for a living. So there's, a multitude of things that I've done, I've tried, and I've that haven't worked, that I haven't been able to maintain, that hasn't resonated with me. But I think that's one of the testaments too is that there's an endless amount of things you can do, and I think that's where a, a great opportunity is for at least it was for me, but I know for a lot of people too is that the idea of what we're doing here is not five things that everyone has to do or there's only five things that everyone could do it's just endless there's an endless way about going about these things but what i've noticed with this whole experience of mental health is that none of it really often matters if i don't have the right perspective or mindset surrounding it and i have done my best over the years to try to attach to something that I believe will always help me in every situation and will allow me to not get so caught up in the world and get more caught up in who I am and what, and what I feel. And so two quotes or two sayings that I live by right now currently, and I say live by now because it's changing. 
It wasn't always these. Uh, one is that nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. So anything that's going on in your life, you didn't pay a bill or you didn't stretch yesterday or it's raining outside. None of that actually has any meaning until you decide what meaning it has. So if you didn't pay a bill and it's late, okay, maybe the reality is it's late, but the extensive of it's a stressful space, it's not stressful. You're making it stressful. And I know that to be true for myself is sure. Like I might need to pay that bill because of credit, but I mean, then where, how far does the rabbit hole go where I just realized that it really has actually, it's meaningless to the context of who I am as a person. And if I can always return to the context of who I am as a person, then it's all irrelevant. None of it actually ha- holds really meaning until I give it meaning. And it could be, yeah, I was falling a little bit behind, but I got it. No worries. I can give it a different meaning versus the normalized meaning. I always have the ability to change that. And same with the weather. The weather is a big pickle of mine with people because I know I was bad for it too, but you wake up, you see the clouds because it's a rainy day. And the meaning you attach to that is today's going to suck because it's not sunny outside. That doesn't mean that that's the actual meaning. It's the meaning you gave it. So if you go outside and see it as an opportunity for the rain to come down and refresh things, then the meaning you've attached to it is the positive. But you can choose which way it goes. There's no answer. And so uh, the super spiritual version of this is a tree is only a tree if you call it a tree. Which I know is a bit of a hard concept to understand, but before we called it a tree, it wasn't a tree. We needed to give it a label and a meaning in order for our logical mind to understand it. So we called it a tree. But before that, it was just what it was. Things are often just what they are. And then the second one that uh, I preach often is if there is no you, there is nothing else. So if, if you don't exist in the context of the best possible version of you, if you don't exist, then none of it, none of it ever will exist. The job won't exist. The health won't exist. The relationship won't exist. The kids won't exist. None of it will exist because you don't exist. So I just use that as a reminder to always return to myself and to return to my self-care and self-love and self-worth and the routines that Anwar was talking about. And I'm glad that you brought that up because something that I am adopting right now as well is self-discipline is self-love. I think that we look at often sometimes self-discipline as like a like they think just the word discipline makes you feel like it's like a it's not a good thing for me or that it's hard but self-discipline is self-love because when you're self-disciplined you're showing you're basically proving to you that you love you so if i'm self-disciplined in the morning by my morning routine i'm telling myself i'm worth it i like that so self-discipline is self-love and i think that's really just such a beneficial concept um there's so many things I could say because again, it's all it's for me. It's just a mindset, and there's endless amounts of quotes. But I will I will leave it with one thing: is Jack Canfield said this. He said, "You wouldn't ha- have been given a dream if you weren't also given the capacity to achieve it." So whatever you're doing, whatever you want to do whatever you're thinking of the future, it might seem like it's an impossible thing to do, but you wouldn't have been given it if you weren't also given the capacity to get to it and to achieve it. So I know that's helpful for me on my journey and it helps appease the mind of all of the things that I feel like I'm not good enough at or my worth is not in or my identity is all messed up. Like all that quote in itself just allows me to understand, oh, well, if I was given it, then whatever it, it is that I feel like I'm missing, I'll figure it out because I'm also given the capacity to achieve it. Um, 
So all of those things really help my mental on a, on a mindset level anyway. So to wrap up this week's episode, we're not going to finish with the PQ. What we want to do with this process, with this episode, and, and like I said earlier, the reason why we're having this conversation is, yes, of course, to support. Yes, of course, to provide anything that we can to be of service. But at the same time, through the course of life, and especially in this pandemic, the amount of people that we've lost to mental health challenges is astronomical. And the situations that we've been put in as people to try to figure this out is and has become so hard. And it is incredibly unfortunate that some of us have gotten to the position where we only see one option left. And unfortunately, the three people here in this room have had that come across their direct space. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to share just in living memory of the people that we've lost through this challenge and the reason why we feel so inclined to be a part of this journey. So for me, in this episode is in loving memory of Nabil and Derek. For me, this episode's in loving memory of Phil. For me, uh, this, this episode is in loving memory for, for Charles. So it's dedicated to, to you. And it's also dedicated to every single person, whoever is listening, that knows someone that has decided to take their own life. It's hard. And we want to share our love, our condolences, and our support in any way that we possibly can. And as we always said, we are here for you. We see you. And we are standing tall beside you in this challenging arena of men's mental health. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember that it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week.